Episode 76, Hot Shot, was supposed to be a fun episode. I, th- I, I hope it still can be in segments. We've done a lot of interviews. We've done a lot of preparation this week for episode 76. But obviously, we start with a tenor that we did not expect. No, sure didn't. I love doing the show. It's so fun. I love the laughs and the goofy, funny, silly stories and your funny stories. I, I love it. It's so fun. But driving over, I'm like, man. I've just felt kind of sick all day. It's I think so everybody heavy. has. I think everybody yeah. has. And I think we all wondered. You you texted me when you heard the news of Kobe Bryant on Sunday. You texted me. I was in a gym at Renton High School and the news was kind of kind of filtering its way or moving its way through yeah. the all the parents that were in the stands. And you it's funny, you texted me something that one of the parents on the other team asked me like within seconds of your oh, text you, tell everybody what you texted me and i think i think a lot of people had this very same reaction I'm not sure i remember but i think I, I i saw the news and i think i asked you if it's true can is, or, is, is it that what po- I you didn't believe it when you read it yeah like just, it was fake news like it was some sort of hoax somebody doing something stupid i right? was trying to get out of the house for my own game with my and so right. i just kind of saw it quickly and i didn't have right. time to research so i just was like is this can this be that, true that's like, exactly what she asked me yeah. she was like is it possible that this is like a a fake story or a hoax and that happens sometimes people just for whatever reason i don't start. know i don't get the humor and yeah, all that really funny i don't yeah. get the humor and all that but i was at renton high school mm. the renton high school gymnasium there was an aau game couple of aau games going on my son was involved with a team he's he's on the bench with a with a boot a broken foot but uh it was the weird it was a really weird you know and then you get the details that they're on their way to a 13 year old's basketball game i'm at a 14 year old basketball game we're about to go to overtime when the news starts circulating just the feeling in the whole gym was like deflated i mean it was like you you, you could have almost dropped and dropped a bit everybody on their phones no one really paying this close attention it was loud 10 minutes earlier it was really loud and people screaming (laughs) going to overtime and this and then and then the news hits. It's just awful. I don't even know how to understand it, really. I was talking to another dad on our team, and, and he said, imagine if you got invited to go with Kobe Bryant on a helicopter. Like, how, who would ever say no to that, right? Like, who would ever say no? Nobody would ever Nobody say Nobody no. would ever say no. And those, I just feel so horrible for everybody involved. I was thinking about tragedies and sports tragedies of our lifetime. It's happened. We've seen many, many, many. I don't know that we've ever seen, and somebody probably listening to this is, thinking I'm the biggest moron because there's probably one that's obvious that I'm not even thinking of as we record this. But Kobe Bryant, I mean, really one of the legendary NBA players at age 41 with his daughter Ugh. and a friend and her, you know, a teammate and her dad. Yep. And, a, and a, I, I, I know there's been Thurman Munson's and Roberto Clemente's and I know that there's been tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. But one of this, ma- I, I don't ever remember feeling this way hearing about an athlete an, an, an athlete's death. Do you? Do no. you recall that? Well, I think maybe Dale Earnhardt comes to mind. Is that that was pretty big? Yeah. But that didn't really affect me that hard because I don't follow racing as closely as you know his fans do. But yeah, I can't think of another one outside of that. This is um, yeah, this is heavy. And it's just left to everybody kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Makes you want to just like hug your kid and you know. We need these reminders. That's don't right. We? That's right. We all go to these games. We, we they were on their way to a game just like you That's were right. on your way to a game, and I was. They were just going by helicopter, and we were. And you know what? Everybody's going to point to the helicopter and oh, uh, what? Yeah, it could have been in a car. That's right. It could have been a drunk driver. Just Never as easily know. as it could have been a helicopter. Yeah. It could have been a drunk driver. I don't know what the stats say. It could have been you. It could have been me. Me and my kid. I mean. 
to to make this about the helicopter ride is misguided. It's just yep. a just a horrible, horrible tragedy that he's got. And 24 hours earlier, all I did, all I saw in SportsCenter, and I'm I'm embarrassed to say I got a little annoyed with it already was the LeBron James passing Kobe Bryant in Philadelphia against the 76ers. Yep. Every time I turn on the TV on that Saturday, <laughs> yeah. that's all. I was like, all right, enough already. I get it. LeBron right. James is third all time, and Kobe's down to fourth. And I was like, enough. And then, like, literally 13 hours later, this news. One of the worst things about when these stories hit is that you don't really have all the information, and you're kind of piecing it together. You see a rumor here, a rumor oh, there. Is there five dead? Was this whole family there? Now they're saying there's nine is that right? Yeah, that's the latest is that there were nine, but they're not releasing the last four for some reason. I know he's got four kids. So now the speculation starts. It's just, it's awful. It's everything about it is just horrible. Well, at the time of this recording, for people that we don't know, we are recording on Sunday as we always do for the Monday show. So I apologize in advance if when people are listening to this, there's more information. I mean, I can't do anything about that. Right. This isn't a radio show. This is a podcast and we've got to record and we only know what we know. And I'm just heartbroken, as the world is. And it's beyond the sports world. I'm just heartbroken um, that, that this happened. And, and I, don't, I just don't know truly the words to, to express. But we will do an episode 76 nonetheless to try to maybe give people a chance to smile on a yep. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I've got a big show, a big 76 scheduled. Uh, by the way, you can get this show everywhere where podcasts are heard, Apple Podcasts, MitchUnfiltered.com, Spotify, wherever it is. And you can become a patron. We did a show last Thursday, uh, which was, what, 75P. Yep. We had two-time National League MVP Dale Murphy on 75P talking about the Astros mess. We had Jason Lock and Four complaining about Seahawks offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer. He thinks he's the worst and he's the reason why the Seahawks year after year are watching two other teams play in the Super Bowl. And he also was complaining about Eli Manning. I want to get your thoughts on Eli Manning. First ballot Hall of Famer, <laughs> regular Hall of Famer, non-Hall of Famer, and also movie mogul Max. Oh, he's back. Was on, No. No, he was on. Oh, yeah, he was on the. Sorry, I thought he was coming back again. Now he sucks. <laughs> By the way, I had to fast forward again. I had to fast forward. Why? He talks about movies I haven't seen yet. No, he didn't talk about movies. He talked about Academy Award nominations. Okay, but that's for movies, and, right? And he what, hadn't <laughs> seen half of the nominations. That was what was funny really? about the segment. I was busting him the whole time. How can you come on and be movie mogul Max? He kept on saying, I said, who do you like in, uh, in supporting actress? And he'd say, well, I, I never saw any of these movies. And I'm like, well, what the hell are we doing here? <laughs> right. Your movie mogul Max. So he was also on episode 76P. The point is, is that no, was that 70, 75p? 75p yeah. The point is, is that we do two shows a week, and if you become a patron for five bucks a month, you get access to the uh, the second show, which drops typically on Thursday. As for this episode seventy six, yes, uh, Eldridge Rakasner on Kobe Bryant, my old buddy who played at the University of Washington, played a a uh, hundred years in the NBA, has got lots to say, I'm sure, about Kobe. We'll talk Kobe Bryant with Eldridge Rakasner, and then we've got three other guests. One is Ross Tucker, who's a former offensive lineman in the NFL. He's kind of an NFL voice. He'll talk about the Super Bowl, Eli Manning, the Seahawks, what have you. And then two other guests that I think are are kind of interesting, each one for different reasons. Okay. One of which 
we're having on because you told us to have him on. Oh, this is this is the episode. Willie T. Ribs. Awesome. You That's told awesome. us to tell everybody who <laughs> Willie T. Ribs is. Well, in the '80s, he was the first African American driver to compete in the Indy 500. Right. So people sort of look at him as like the Jackie Robinson of auto racing. Right. He was like the first. Right. But he had this kind of cool attitude about him. He was outspoken, even at a time where people were probably tough on him because of the color of his skin. But he had a really kind of a, a tough cool attitude and it didn't seem to really affect him no it fueled him right <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah there you yeah. go i spent 15 or 20 minutes with him because you oh, said great. hey you got to do this it's a cool story yeah. and i did it I, I didn't really know the story i don't know auto racing i didn't know him but he was great great you'll hear his story from his perspective on this show and there's a documentary coming out for people too after yeah, well that's what he's promoting yep. he's promoting the documentary name is willie t ribs first guy ever first african-american ever to test a formula one car and race in the indianapolis 500 and along the way was the subject and was the target of death threats and animosity Ugh. and racial slurs. And all he did was laugh at it and, <laughs> and, and just wanted even more. Right. It's amazing. When it would have scared most of us away, Willie T. Ribs went the other direction. And then the other guest that we have on this show that you don't know about, on November the 20th, you will have never heard his name before, okay. but on November the 20th, 2012, so seven years ago, seven plus years ago, in a Division Three college basketball game, scored 138 points in the game. Really? 5'10". A 5'10 shooting guard. I feel like I should have from, heard about this. From Grinnell College had 138. Jeez. Would you like to take a guess <laughs> at how many shots he took oh. to get to 138 points? Yeah, uh, just take a guess. 50. Uh, a little bit more. Take a guess. 70. How about a little bit more? <laughs> really? Yeah. Is there even time to shoot that many? Yeah. Three a minute. He played 36 minutes, and he took 108 shots. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> got to hear this That's guy. That's amazing. And then got hurt, season ended, came back the next season, and scored 108 in a game. He's got two of the three God. greatest scoring games. And now you might say obnoxious, got to be selfish, the whole thing. There's a story behind how and why and okay. how it came to be. I think you'll appreciate his story. And then the 15 minutes of fame, the Jimmy Kimmel interview, the, yeah. the, 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 the Good Morning America, the Today Show. All of a sudden, he thinks he's going to be maybe an NBA ball player. <laughs> his, by the way, his, his idol was Kobe Bryant. Oh, and I'll just tell you right now, Kobe Bryant is mentioned in this interview, but this interview was done a few days ago. Amazing. So uh, his idol was Kobe Bryant. I think he always wanted to be Kobe Bryant. You're going to hear him say that. Um, and so then you've got a story of, okay, now can I play in the NBA? Can I play? And then it doesn't go that way. And it's just a very interesting, Great. not only basketball story, human life story. Okay. Speaking of Kobe Bryant and scoring, I, I was looking at, you know, reading about him today. He, I, did we not get enough out of the fact that he scored 81 points in an NBA game? That's pretty freaking crazy, yeah. right? It was unbelievable. I, I remember when he did it. I think it was a Sunday night and I was at a... I don't I remember think it was. Where the, I remember hearing about it driving into the morning like I show. Was, I feel like I was at a game, maybe at a Sonic Sonics game? game. Is it possible that I was at a Sonics game when it happened? I, I don't know. I feel like I was at a somewhere, a football game maybe? Did it happen early in the season yeah. when the NBA and football? But yeah, I, it, it's crazy. I mean, you hear yeah, about Wilt Chamberlain scoring 100. You go, well, you know, he was seven foot tall and the center was probably 6'4 that was guarding him. Look. But in the common era, I mean, in the in the current era, that's he was amazing. A score. He was a score. Look, they're... they're the, he was one of the greats of all time. Now we can 
debate till we're blue in the face how great he was. I was never the truth of the matter. I was never a huge, like, he's one of the top two or three players of all time. There's a lot of people who think he's one of the top, like, three or four sure. players. In I've never been that way. That's no disrespect to him. I always thought that there were a lot of guys that were better. He was certainly one of the greatest. But, yeah, when it came to scoring, when he wanted to score, his last game ever, they fed him the ball, fed him the ball. I think he had 60, 60 in his last yeah. game when he retired. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. It was fun getting – sorry, it was fun to root for him, though, when he was on the Olympics because every four years I get to have Kobe Bryant on my team. I really enjoyed that. It's funny. When I was rooting for Kobe Bryant, I had to, like, sometimes slap myself in the face <laughs> and make sure I wasn't rooting for Michael Jordan because I always felt like he was – the replica that he wanted to be the replica of Michael Jordan everything about him the way he carried himself on the floor the way he walked the way he talked yeah. the way his tongue came out I mean everything about it just seemed to me that he was he was trying to be Michael Jordan from the day he arrived in the NBA out of high school out of Philadelphia a lot of guys have tried and he got closest probably right he looked <laughs> he looked and almost if you close your eyes during interviews almost the into like he was almost doing an impression his whole life <laughs> yeah. of Michael Jordan anyway four guests on episode 76 there'll be a 76p on Thursday Eldridge Kasner the man who scored 138 in a game the man who was the first African American to uh, race in the Indianapolis 500 and Ross Tucker talking about the Super Bowl all right Episode 76, Hotshot Scott, presented by Zeke's Pizza. More sports, more pizza, and craft beer at a true Northwest original in 2020. My family and I have spent more evenings this year at Zeke's Pizza than ever before, now with 17 locations, Linwood to Tacoma, and now straight to your door. Download the Zeke's Pizza app. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler. For the final few days of January, a bottle of Vuv Clico champagne for just $40 to celebrate Daniel's 40th birthday regularly, $145. The end of this month, 40 bucks with the order of two entrees at one of the four incredible spots, Les Shy, South Lake Union, Bellevue, and the spectacular new Daniel's in the downtown Seattle Hyatt Regency world-class steakhouses. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Make certain you give Jordan Flowers' team a call at 425-250-3150 just to see if a refinance makes sense for you and your family. For the last many months, people all over the country have been reducing their monthly payments and even pulling thousands and thousands of dollars out to do whatever they want. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage and Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest with offices along the West Coast and not only the originator of evervestment.com, a new program that caters to those of us that don't have the wealth that many of the Evergreen clients have, but still want to grow our money. They're also one of the biggest reasons that Mitch Unfiltered continues to crank out shows week after week. Check them out, evervestment.com. Episode 76 begins right now. Unfiltered. Am I the only one who has had this reaction, which is stop it? Can we just stop the Derek Jeter PR machine? I've been listening to this for 20 years now. At some point, I'm going to boil over. I guess I'm boiling over now. Unfiltered. What does that do for the guy who's struggling when he sees people making fun of Delonte West? Is he going to be more likely or less likely to come out to somebody and say, hey, I need some help? I mean, that sets everything back. It sets the whole process back that we've got knuckleheads out there that would look at this video and see a man who clearly needs incredible amounts of help. And yet we're making fun of him? Mitch is unfiltered. 
All right, we begin episode 76 with heavy hearts over the loss of Kobe Bryant at age 41 and everybody else, by the way, that was on That's right. that helicopter. It's very easy to concentrate on one person. I mean, we lost his daughter that we know of at the time of this recording, 13-year-old on her way to the 13-year-old's basketball. There's another young girl there. There was a father of another young girl. There was a pilot, yeah. at least at the at the time of this i was i was under the impression there were five people that were lost in this helicopter yeah i'm seeing nine now and the other four haven't been released for whatever reason and by the way the the friend's dad was like a, a beloved baseball coach in the community God. as well just so yeah it's all it's so all sad. bad so 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 sad yep uh episode 76 episode benji olsen Remember him? Uh, offensive lineman for the Huskies. You got now, it. Now, I just need to tell somebody on Twitter who says I'm clueless unless it comes to 80 Seahawks. Oh, that's so not right. But <laughs> You've proven that wrong. You've proven that wrong. I don't disagree with him, but no, I do know I more than No, I kind of disagree the, with him. I, I, Every once in a while, you surprise me with a guy. Right. Benji Olsen, uh, him and Tony Coates were the two that got – they were both from the same high school, I think. I remember and, Tony Coates, but I don't even know. And yeah. they were like the top two linemen in the entire state, and the Huskies got them. Episode Benji Olsen, episode Russell Okung. Oh, Yes familiar with him episode Dwayne Brown if you want to come real current but the greatest 76 of all time in sports at least according to most of the websites in all sports internationally happened to be a guy who played a good portion of his career a controversial figure who played a good portion of his career here in Seattle how do you feel about episode poison pill I'm sure it's going to be episode Kobe right at the end of the day it's yes. going to be episode Kobe but how would you feel about episode poison pill Steve Hutchinson for 76 why does every person remember the poison pill term for some reason <laughs> why is that was that the first time we ever heard it it's uh, funny how everyone remembers the, yeah, course, the poison pill of course pill. it was that was the very first time that yeah and it was outlawed I think they they changed the rules on what you God. could draw up in the contract yeah, there's so much about that story. I don't know. I don't know how much everybody knows the story of of Tim Ruskell versus Mike Holmgren. Mike Holmgren didn't even like Tim Ruskell to begin with. Oh, gotcha. The GM. Remember, Tim yeah, Ruskell was brought Tim, in to yeah. replace Mike Holmgren. Mike Holmgren was both the GM and the coach. Right. And then he lost the GM title. They they hired Tim Ruskell. Ruskell and him decided, you know, they were going to franchise. Of course, they're going to franchise him. And he got on a plane to go to, I think, the Indianapolis Combines. And then he gets off the plane. And John Clayton comes up to him. Can I get a comment on the decision just oh. to, tra- to transition him? And he's like, no, we didn't transition him. We franchised him. N- no, coach, you didn't know? They announced, Ruskell announced that he transitioned him instead of franchised him. Transitioned him, allowing somebody to put together a, an offer with the poison pill and so forth. No, 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 John, you're wrong. We, we franchise. No, you didn't, Coach. <laughs> I love how Clayton had the scoop, so, but the so coach didn't know. Mike Holmgren didn't know, so John Clayton was the one who, and then, and then all hell breaks loose. They put in some of these clauses that he's got to play in Minneapolis and got to live oh in, you know, some God. just these crazy, crazy things that the Seahawks go to. Then it goes to an arbitrator at the University of Pennsylvania, the whole thing. That's crazy. And then, I didn't and then, know that. And then Holmgren gets pissed at Hutchinson because Hutchinson looked him in the eye in a meeting before they went away in the exit meeting and told him that he would make sure that he gave them the proper opportunity to have him back and he never really did Uh. and so Holmgren didn't talk to Hutchinson for many many months and years and then they got together at somebody else's wedding and they finally (laughs) the whole thing. You don't know any of this? I'm doing a cockamamie (laughs) morning show on Cube 93. I I wasn't dialed in like this. Uh, This is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think most of that's true. I think I made some of that up. 
<laughs> Mike Holmgren's never met Steve Hutchinson. Uh, anyway, how do we feel? I mean, do Seahawks fans still like? Is he beloved? I mean, you did a sh- sports show. Well, I remember when he came back just recently to raise the twelfth man flag. Was this the year? This year was the first time he was back to raise the twelfth oh, man. Oh, is that flag. right? People were pissed at him for a long time. He made it impossible for the Seahawks to retain him. Yeah, and he's got his own version of that story. And I'm sure I'm certain he feels like he did the right thing. And he I'm certain that he feels like most of the fans that are mad at him for that probably would have done the same thing that he did. Okay. He's got his version of the story. The Seahawks have their at the end of the day. I can't be so, so angry with him. I mean, I, I, I am angry with him. I think it's settled down over the years. Yeah. But how angry can we be with him when it was? Tim Ruskell and the Seahawks' decision, not not Holmgren, Ruskell's decision to expose him, to allow this to happen by transitioning him instead of franchising him. At the end of the day, all they had to do was franchise him. Right. Yeah. Franchise him. Yeah, it felt like he sort of broke up the Beatles a bit. That offensive line was so never, great. It was never the same. Yeah. It was never, it was never the same. So you had... You had uh, some basketball, some girls' basketball that you want to talk about before. And I had some boys' basketball that I'd like to talk about before we really get into the meat of the show. Yeah, we had a game Saturday and a game Sunday. The game Saturday, uh, I've told you my daughter's team might be the best fifth-grade girls' team in the state. It sounds braggy, but they could very well win it. Very braggy. It is. And she was the player of the game last weekend at a tournament in Mount Vernon. She was a player of the game uh, in the semifinal. Yeah, up in Ferndale. Yeah. One game. Yeah, Ferndale. So they're very, very good. So they dropped 80 on a team. Yeah. Okay, 80 yeah. to 5 yeah. against Redmond. Not good, right? That's, you know. So with about eight minutes to go in the I had never seen this in my life. Now, you tell me if you've seen this. Eight minutes to go in the game, I look at the scoreboard, and it's 0-0. Zero, zero. Yeah. Oh, I've seen that a lot. Oh, have you? Yeah. That's a thing? Yeah, they zero out the board. Yeah. When do they zero out the board? What's the official rule? I can't remember where, where I've seen I think I've seen it mostly in rec ball. I don't see you don't see it in select kind of feeder ball. That's as much. what I'm wondering. I mean, I think is... you see it in rec ball okay. more than anything else. But yeah, when it becomes lopsided, they just zero it out and they give the one. Yeah. So that it's Why? not embarrassing. Who are they protecting? So, well, uh, who do you think they're protecting? <laughs> you want to take a stab at that? Well, the team that's on the court who knows the score? Yeah, well, they don't know. <laughs> they, don't have to, they don't have to broadcast it to the world. I guess it's, you know, it's an embarrassment. If they, you know, okay, they're getting beat 80 to 5. Yeah. Do we need to, does it need to be on the scoreboard? Do we need, okay, 82 to 5, 84 to 5. At what point do we need, I mean, these are 10-year-old girls. Yep. These aren't 17 and 18-year-old girls. Okay. Kind of embarrassing. I, 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 don't, have any, I don't have any problem with that. I do. I think it's embarrassing if you're on the team that, that – that has the, the scoreboard Zeros. zeroed out. I think yeah. it's embarrassing. Like, we can't handle it. What, are we going to be, like, in the fetal possession, sucking our thumbs after the game? Well, we can handle it. It's a, it's a league where you have to Spoken try out. Spoken from a father of a, of a gal that was on the winning oh, side. I don't I, think that would – my daughters, they got humbled last year. They weren't this good in fourth grade. They've been humbled a few times. But I'm, So now, what, where's the cutoff? What if they're up by 50? Do we, I mean, who decides that? I just thought it was silly. I, I heard the word, we want to be good sports is what I heard. That's from, right. Okay, that's not bad sportsmanship to have the score up. No, but it's just, you know. I'm trying, surprised you're, you're on the side of that. I'm, I, I thought you would think it was silly. I don't know that I'm really feverishly on one side or the other. Oh, okay. I, I just understand it, especially when it's 10-year-old girls or 10-year-old boys. I understand it. I understand that, okay, when you're in the line, the, the, the handshake line, and the scoreboard's sitting up there and it says 102 to 4. You can kill it's a it after emba- the game. It's but, a little embarrassing. But during I mean, the game? During the game? I don't know. At some point, I, I, okay, I'm with you. Keep <laughs> it up sold there. you? Keep it up there. I just think I'm more concerned of what happened in my son's game, which violated every Mitch, anti-Mitch basket. 
anybody who has ever listened to the morning show knows exactly what I'm going to say when I say that my son's team and my son's coach, whom I love, Mm -hmm. violated rule one of Mitch's basketball rule. Do you know what that is? I don't know if I know, but give me the scenario. I can probably figure it out. Up three. Your son's team's up three. Ten seconds to go. Okay. In regulation. Who has the ball? The other team. Gotcha. I feel like I know what you would want to do. I had to. I had to plead with Lorenzo Romar. I had. To, I've. I've talked to coaches as best as I can. I. I call. I, people think I'm stalking them. I'm. I'm calling coaches around the NBA just to, just to plead with. You got a foul at least at a certain point when you're at an age where the the kids can make three point shots. I mean, if the kids can't make three point shots, then you don't have to foul. Tell me the age. You said thirteen. They're no, they're eighth graders. Eighth grade. They're okay. Getting ready to go to high school. Okay. And I'll even come. And here's the here's the if you th- if that's not the capper that they didn't foul. Here's the capper. Okay. My son's team had four guys on the floor. <laughs> Really? Yeah. Because of foul outs? Or? Well, they started with five. They got so many injuries. Oh. Had a concussion in the first game. Oh, He's out. My son's out. Yeah. Some some guys missed the game. So they start the game with five. Don't you have any eligibility left for eighth grade basketball? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to come to the conclusion that you think uh, keeping the scoreboard on or turning the scoreboard off is bad. Yeah. Okay. I'll throw, throw something at you here in a second. But So they start with five guys. Okay. And one fouls out with like with like three minutes to go, two minutes to go in the game. So now they're playing with four. And they have a three-point lead. Oh. And they've got four defenders. So if you think I want them to foul when they've got five <laughs> defenders, right. do you think I want them to foul? So, so the guy's bringing the ball up, nine, eight, and there's one voice in the back going, foul. You were? Foul. <laughs> foul. Can't control yourself. Foul. Foul. Yeah. Three. Buzzer. In. He hits it. Hits it. Oh, my God. Guy brings the ball down, kind of penetrates, kicks it off to the side. We only have four, so we're in kind of a little zone-y, four-man zone. Yeah. Guy at the on the wing, drills the three. Now we've got four against five playing in overtime. In overtime How yeah. do you think that turned out? No chance, out? yeah. No chance. And by the way, four guys and who played the whole game. And it's too bad I didn't. People would have gotten a kick out of it that remember the morning show. And I remember me pleading with coaches, yeah. please foul up three. I should have taken a video where yep. you hear my voice going, foul, foul. And then him hitting would the three would have been, got, oh, it would have been Would that have gone viral? Awesome. Foul, you hear my, foul, foul, foul. I, I, was, I just kept on saying, foul, yeah. foul. And, nobody and then listened. he freaking hits it. He hits the three. Unreal. And we don't have enough guys to cover the court. Yeah. Which brings up another thought that I had. Okay. Now, my wife is out of town with the other son. So the wife is not in there. The mom's not in the gym. It's just me and the other son. And he's so you're, sitting, you're unleashed a little bit. <laughs> I, I, it I know that feeling. It wouldn't have stopped me from going, foul. <laughs> Even if she was sitting next to me, yeah. I would have said, foul, foul. Um, but I don't know. He's in a walking boot. He's got one more week to go. They've got four guys. There's 10 seconds to go, and I'm sitting there saying, "Yeah, what if he just goes in and puts his hands up? Yeah, Say to the coach, he had his jersey on even though he wasn't playing. He hasn't played in weeks. Would they have let him in the – would the officials have let him in the game with a walking boot up to his knee? No, he'd have to put a tennis shoe on. He didn't have one. Okay, well, then he's not playing. I don't think he could go on with a walking boot, no. Okay, which brings me back to <laughs> – First of all, they'd think you're a maniac for throwing your kid out there. And I don't think. Well, the coach, I don't think, would have put him. <laughs> but the in referees even. would have been like, "This kid's hurt. What is the, where's the dad?" Ten seconds to go. They're, they only have four players. All I'm saying is, if I he would have gone yeah. in there in a zone on a wing and just put his, I, and I tell him, and the coach tells him, "Don't move. Just put your hands up." Yeah. Just don't make sure no three gets off. 
Well, I don't know that you can make sure the notes. You just put your hands up. Yeah, okay, okay? Fine. Just put your hands up. Uh, you're saying, I'm sure the coach would not, even if he had volunteered. I'm, I'm up there in the back going, I don't know. That's a tough one. And what I'm remembering is, true story, my dad, in like 19, I'm going to say 1970, 10 years old they were, 11, I was three, maybe 71 or 72. So we're going back 40 years. Okay. Um, putting my brother in. He had a plaster cast up to his knee oh, with one of those rubber things on the bottom. They, they didn't have boots in those days. This was the white, you know, the... Yeah, the white plaster, yeah. Where that. you sign your name oh, on sure, the... Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, but they had to, like, it, to make it a walking... It, so it, it went from his knee down to his toes. What did he break? He sprained his ankle. And my okay. dad was pissed that they put him in. It was a little championship game. It was like a rec league game. Yeah. My dad was the coach. My brother was the point guard. The two brothers were on the team. And he had a plaster cast up to his knee with a stopper on the bottom with one of those like rubber things to allow him to walk. Gotcha. Do you remember yeah, yeah. that? Yeah, little yeah. square kind of rubbery yep. thing? And they're going to the game that night. I, I'll never forget it. And he says, you know, Jay... Why don't you come in the uniform? Just put your uniform on so that you're, you're team spirit. Yeah. My mom's like, what? <laughs> and so he brings him. He, he, hey, Jay, make sure you sit on the bench. Sit on the bench, team spirit. And about halfway through the game, the point guard was just throwing the ball away. My dad says, Jay, you're in. He went in oh my God. and played with a plaster cast up to his knee. With a, My dad put my brother in. with a. It was only a sprain. It wasn't yeah. even a broken ankle. But he can't run with a huge weight on C- his leg. Couldn't like, run at all. Yeah. Had to, he was walking the ball up, but he wasn't going to lose the ball. The, right. the point guard was losing the ball. And they didn't, they, didn't, uh, they didn't double team him or anything. He just came. It was a rec league game. Literally, my dad put my Cut. brother in. My mom was sitting there with me. I was about yeah. five years old at the time going, yeah. This is the coolest thing of all time. My mom was so furious. Yeah, I mean, CPS would have got called. I mean, Child Protective Services would have been like, who's the maniac to put the kid with the cast he, in? And he played like most of the second half. God. Walking around with a, with a cast up, up to his knee. You almost did the same thing with your son. That's no, amazing. I wasn't going to do it because I wasn't the coach. Yeah, well, you I were, was up there thinking, you, God, yeah. they only have four. We got 10 seconds to go. Just... Can he go in and put his hands up? You're saying they wouldn't even let, even if the coach wanted him to do it. Not with the boot on. Nah, they're, they, yeah, it's it. weird. They're, they're weird about that. They're not going to put him in with the boot on. No, not with the boot. All right. Because, I mean, God forbid someone gets kicked by it or, you know. But what would have happened if he'd have gone in, it would have set him back another three months. He would have, like, that, that would have been, that's how it would have gone with your wife out of town. Uh, you have to explain uh, to her that <laughs> he was going to get it off in a week, but now we've gotten set back three months. You'd be like, for what? What happened? Oh, well, God. She went. He went into the game. Yeah, that wouldn't have gone over very well. No, that would not. Have been. <laughs> that would not have gone. All right, what do you got on your list? We got anything to talk about besides the sadness of Kobe Bryant and the loss of Kobe Bryant and the precious young lives that were on that helicopter? What else do you have on your list? Yeah, I wanted to talk about Gritty, the mascot for the uh, the uh, Philadelphia Flyers, getting sued for punching <laughs> a thirteen year old boy. <laughs> now, as I've told you, I used to run the Philadelphia Failure Society. And we'd meet and root against everything Philadelphia. And th- stories like this is why. Yeah. I mean, they're the worst Philadelphia fans, right? I, have you followed this at all? or do you see? I, I sent it to you, but I, I haven't really read into it. Did he shove the kid? Did he well, shove a kid in the back or something? Chris Grenwell, he's a season ticket holder for a long time. Him and his son waited an hour to take a picture with Gritty. And when they finally got to the front, they took their photo. Everything's fine. And then his son playfully patted Gritty on the head before walking away. And that's when, according to Greenwell, Gritty took a running start and punched his son as hard as he could in the back. Gritty. Like, I mean, that's his account now of it. Uh, so, and 
Oh, Shockingly, there were no cameras around, right? The only cameras are at the Astros' dugout, apparently. When you need a camera, they're never oh, around, right? God. So the team launched an investigation, and they couldn't – the guy kept saying, no, I want four tickets. They tried to come up with something. It never worked out, so then he filed a police report, and here we are. Are you watching um, the treatment that Mike Hopkins is getting as the Washington Husky basketball team sinks lower and lower? I don't know that you can sink any lower. I think they're at the very bottom now at the Pac-12 after two more losses on the road to Utah. Are you noticing the social media reaction to Mike Hopkins, who's in his third year? Obviously, this team is not succeeding. Obviously, the point guard was thrown off the team for the time being because of grades and with two... Uh, McDonald's All-Americans. Are you watching what people are writing about Mike Hopkins? I, I've seen some of it, but then I, I saw you respond to somebody, and that's kind of when it tipped well, me off Well, I'll read you looking. some of them. One of them went, how many years does a coach get? How many years? He just got here, didn't he? Just arrived, but okay. Well, yeah. Um, here's another one. Can't believe we got rid of Romar and the five-star class Romar had for this crap of a coach. He kind of sort of won with Romar's guys. Once they were gone, the program is in the toilet. Uh, they, run, they don't run, this is another one, they don't run any semblance of an offense, and he's loyal to players who have backups that should be playing over them. Here's another one. Hopkins has three five stars on his roster and is getting his ass kicked by two-star teams game after game after game, and oh yeah, after game, no excuses. Uh, they are struggling, and it seems headed to wasting the one year of Stewart and Dan- McDaniels. Um, the green suspension has done them in, obviously, but the, 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 the sharks are out. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And they are just hammering at Mike Hopkins because he's at fault for all of this. And how many years are we going to give him until he gets this thing going? Do I need to remind people? <laughs> Please do. It sounds and, like I, it. <laughs> and, and I know people are going to say, oh, you're just a Syracuse guy. You loved Hopkins at Syracuse, and you're just defending him. No, I actually wasn't sure that it was a great hire at the University of Washington when they hired him. I wasn't sure it was going to work out. Why not? Did you have any reasons? I just wasn't sure. I saw him coach Syracuse when Beheim was suspended, and it okay. didn't look great. And I was not I was not a big believer in the Jen Cohen decision. It wasn't that I was a de- – I was kind of on the fence. Let's put me – I yeah. was on the fence. But to your point, you weren't you weren't just a, a Mike Hopkins honk because no, you went to Syracuse. No, gotcha. not, not in the least. Okay. Do I need to remind people that he took over a team? And I love Lorenzo Romar. I, I wish they would not have gotten rid of Lorenzo Romar. But everybody want the same people wanted yeah, Romar they out, sure right? Did, yeah. He came in and he inherited a team, I believe, that went three and fifteen, maybe two and sixteen in Romar's last year. And they went ten and eight in his first season, and he won Pac twelve coach of the year. And then they went 15-3 and three their second season, and he won Pac-12 Coach of the Year, back-to-back. So he's only been here two years, and he's been the Coach of the Year in the conference both years. Yeah. And now he's in the midst of a season, by the way, which isn't over yet. They could still run off a bunch of wins. Yeah. They could win the Pac-12 win, tournament right. and get the automatic bid. It's not over yet, yeah. but okay, he lost his point guard. They're having a bad year. You want to blame him for the loss of the point? How could he not know about greats? Okay, I'll, go, I'll even go with you on that. How many years do we give this guy? <laughs> really? That's what you're asking? And, yeah. and and remember, I told you that every now and again, Washington Huskies fans, like with the Chris Peterson thing, right? It's just a bat. At some there's some time now. Maybe it's just a very 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 small minority that I'm reading, and they're the only ones complaining. And no, maybe his maybe it's ninety nine point nine nine percent 
backing of him, but I don't see as many of those as I see the. I don't know what the answer is, but it is a really bad look. This is a this is a horrendous look for Husky fans to be bashing Mike Hopkins in year three after the first two years that he had, and we wondered, okay. He can win. He can coach, obviously, to get him to the tournament last year. But can he recruit? Well, <laughs> he got Isaiah Stewart yeah. to come all the way from Rochester, New York. He got he got Jaden McDaniels to stay instead of leaving to go somewhere else. He got uh, Players of the Year in New York. He got, you know, I mean, he's done a great job in recruiting. He did a great job for the first two years in coaching. This has been a... A crap sandwich season, no yeah. question about it, and he deserves some. He's culpable on some level, but we're really are we really throwing this guy out with the bathwater after a half of a one half of a bad year after those first two seasons? Really, is that what we're doing? Yeah, I'm. I'm not in that camp of getting rid of Hop, but I, I know people's frustration because I root for the Huskies. I'm from here. You know, two McDonald's All-Americans and a transfer from Kentucky. We had such high expectations this year as Husky fans. I did too. And we, uh, you know, sports fans have to look for someone to blame. There always has to be a scapegoat. And unfortunately, I, they're stupidly no, no. putting it no, on no, him. No, 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 no. No, I don't think they're stupidly putting it on him. That's not what I said. I'm okay with you pointing the finger at Hop you this said he's year. culpable, yeah. I mean, I don't know how much is about the kid not getting. Look, let's first of all understand this. They had a transfer from Kentucky who was the point guard of the team with two other All-American young guys who are playing forward and big man, all right, on a very, very young team who was coming into his own and by January 1 or late December was their best three-point shooter, was the quarterback on the court, was an assisted turnover guy, was the glue of the team, okay? And he essentially failed off the team. He failed out of the uh, team, okay? That's that's the re- that happened in the middle of the year. It didn't happen at the beginning where they had time to adjust. That would have been a difficult thing for any coach. There's probably no coach in America without with as young as everybody else is around the kid that could okay. Now, you want to say that's the reason why they're 2 and 6 in the conference. That's the reason why they're at the bottom because they were thrown this incredible curveball in the middle. Now, is it Hopkins' fault that he wasn't on top of the grades and let this happen and should have had the kid being tutored and maybe he was being tutored but not tutored enough? I mean, is Hopkins responsible for a kid not getting the grades to stay eligible? That's a fair question. I don't know the answer. I tend to want to blame the kid a little bit. Yeah. I don't think it's all about Hopkins. I mean, the kid's got to go to class and got to do his part. And I, you can't and I, babysit people. Okay. But, yeah. but if you want to, even if you want to say Hopkins is fully responsible for the kid failing off the team and he's fully responsible for not adjusting his team to win games without him and he's fully responsible for being two and six, you want to, that's fine. You want to blame the whole thing. I think that's a little harsh, but you want to blame the whole thing on him? I don't even have a problem with that. Okay. Okay. He gets credit for the first two years. Yeah. Okay, it's not his. We're not judging him on just that. The guy has done a phenomenal job in both recruiting and coaching in his first two years. Even if he is fully responsible for the position that they're in, which he's not, fully responsible, he's still, he's still the, the two-time reigning Pac-12 Coach of the Year. Okay, yeah. who everybody, all these people were so thrilled to have him just three months ago. 
You wouldn't have traded. Three months ago, people were asking me, these same people that are criticizing him were asking me, do you think he'll go back to Syracuse when Bayheim quits? Do you think we're going to lose him? Do you think he wants to? And he, does anybody say that he wants to be an NBA coach? Everybody's asking, can we keep him? Do we have to sign him to a long-term extension? These are the same people. Three months later in a terrible year. Yes, it's gone south for a lot of reasons. Get him out. How much longer are we going to give him? Yeah. Come on. Think about how we felt after the Baylor win. We're like, wow, this hop guy, he's really got Come it figured on. out. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, I'll say what I said earlier, and it's not that I think they're going to turn it around, but you know, we're recording this on January 26th. This is the craziest year in college basketball of my lifetime, of my lifetime of being a college basketball fan. Let's put it that way. Since I became a college basketball fan, I've never seen a year like this. Okay. And it's January 26th. It's been the most unpredictable college basketball season of my lifetime That's and it's january 26th at the time that we're recording this march is march there's february still to go things happen they could get hot they could get hot in the pac-12 tournament let's let i'm not i'm not telling you it's going to happen yeah can we just can, can we just all subside and a give him credit for his first two years and b let's Let's make our decisions on let's make our conclusions on this year when those two guys enter the NBA draft and we're looking back upon this. There's plenty of time to write the eulogy. That's what I keep typing on on Twitter. Yeah, there's plenty of time for the eulogy. Okay, I heard Goodman talking on the podcast a couple episodes ago and last episode was the last one. And he, he doesn't think that that even if green is eligible for the spring quarter that he'll even be a factor he like we all we all have that marshawn lynch syndrome yeah we picture green coming back and now it's on Boy, out, yeah we're gonna run the table well and- there's a chance that he would be eligible a chance and now we're again assuming that he's going to classes and he's pulling up his grades right. and he's staying in school and he hasn't left and he's still i guess there's a possibility that he could be reinstated right before the NCAA tournament. Not the Pac-12 tournament. I don't think so. I think it's. I think the end of that quarter. You have to check me. Somebody can check me on that. The end of that quarter, I think, is between. No, I think it's in the middle of the Pac-12 tournament. I think it's like the Thursday. You know, the Thursday of the Pac-12 sure. or Friday of the Pac-12 tournament. I think that's in that week there, and then the selection Sunday is on that following Sunday. So that's the end of the quarter. I don't know if the grades are in. Yeah, I don't know if he's got to take exams after that. I, I don't, I don't know. game so, shape so, and all that. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. no, but he's actually he's practicing. practicing. I think yeah. he's allowed to practice. Anyway. And you said something interesting I never even thought about is that maybe he doesn't even want to stay at Washington. Maybe he's going to move on. I never even really thought about that. I hope not. Yeah. Third but, school in three years. Yeah. Yeah. Wherever he goes, he's got to have whatever it is, a 2.0 or whatever yeah. the grade point average it is to, to – uh, to stay active on the team. Anyway, we've got four guests. We'll have a, a another stuff segment. We'll continue this. Uh, this is all another stuff segment. Yeah. We'll continue that um, after our four guests. Four interesting, I think, really interesting people. Obviously, Eldridge Kasner on Kobe. What a horrific weekend it was in the world of sports and non-sports. But then we also have the guy who scored 138 points in one college basketball game. We have the guy who who was the first African-American to run in the Indianapolis 500 to race in the Indianapolis. I don't story. think he ran. I think he raced in the Indianapolis <laughs> yeah, he 500. He wouldn't win if he ran. No, I don't think he had a chance. I know he's fast, but not that fast. And Ross Tucker as well. And then you and I will come back for the other stuff segment. 
Hey, Hotshot, let me tell you about Daniel's Broiler. Celebrating their 40th anniversary and putting together an unbelievable January promotion for the month of January only, all four Daniel's Broilers are offering a bottle of Vouv, Clicquot, Yellow Label Champagne, for $40 at dinner, regularly $145. Simply order two dinner entrees, and this great champagne is yours for just 40 bucks. The loyalty of Daniel's guests over the last 40 years clearly deserving of an offer of this magnitude. So continue celebrating the holidays all the way through till February 1st through January at Daniel's Broiler with a bottle of Vouv Clicquot for only $40 located at South Lake Union, Leshine Marina, Bellevue Place. And now the new downtown Hyatt Regency serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. this one stand out for you more than one, two, three, and four? Well, this, this is the sweetest. You know, it's, uh, we've been downplaying the whole series, the rivalry between us and the Celtics because we had to focus on what we had to do. But we understood how bad the city wanted it. You know, there's no question about it. And uh, this one's by far the sweetest because it's against them and because it's the hardest one by far. Good evening. Welcome to ESPN Sports Center. Zubin Mahinti. I'm Michael Lees. Breaking news in this Sunday afternoon. Five-time NBA champion, former league MVP Kobe Bryant died earlier this afternoon in Los Angeles in a helicopter crash. News reports are just coming in among multiple victims. Kobe Bryant on that helicopter. Obviously, it was a really, really hard weekend episode 76 continues with my buddy Eldridge Rickasner. I wish I could have him on in better spirits. What a just an awful, an awful weekend in the world of sports and non-sports around the globe with the loss of Kobe Bryant at age 41. Eldridge Rickasner is with us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Eldridge, thanks for being with us. Yeah, no problem, miss. Thanks for having me. Uh, I guess first, before I ask you to talk about your experiences on the floor that you had with Kobe, just a just a thought of where you were on Sunday and the shock and the feeling when you heard the story. You know, Mitch, it was just really strange, man. I was in church, and uh, I kept getting this vibration on my phone, you know, one time, two times, three times, four times, five times, and I finally said, let me check and see what this is. And I looked down, I had a, I had a text from one of my cousins, I had a text from Michael Cage. I had an email from the NBA, you know, saying that Kobe Bryant had died in a in a helicopter crash. And the, the first thing I thought was, well, this is just, you know, it's just a rumor. You know, they'll probably come back and say, no, it's not true. Because, you know, the first thing I saw was from TMZ. And then when I when I saw the, the, the email from the NBA, I, I knew it was legit. And, you know, my heart just dropped. I had to get up and walk outside the, the congregation there for a second just to kind of gather myself. And honestly, man, I, I, I shed a few tears because not only did I play against Kobe, but, you know, I was a fan of his game. And I remember taking my son to the All-Star game and having him sign his jersey and get a picture and stuff with him. So this was, this was a very, very sad day. So first and foremost, my, my heart goes out to Vanessa, his wife, 
and his kids, man, because I have four kids, and I, I can't even imagine not only something happened to me, but if something was to happen to one of my kids as well. Yeah. Just just a devastating day for the for the NBA family, and I, and I think just stay thankful, people. I think Kobe, outside of Michael Jordan, is probably the the biggest name that's out there, definitely for sports and and just in life. Period. I mean, he was just he was bigger than life, and to be gone at 41 years old is is just really sad. Before I ask you to share with us some. Uh some stories from your days of playing with him against him this is not the first time we've had tragedy in the nba there have been tragic days in the past i know that uh that you remember others passing away in the you know whether they were playing or whether they were retired does this day remind you did that day remind you of anything like that no i don't think i've ever felt felt anything like this i mean we've had other tragedies i mean just just here you know when we started the new year david stern passed away right um, so, you know, it's just really kind of strange that you get two icons in the world of basketball gone in the same month. But I, I've never I've never quite I've never quite experienced anything like this. And like I said, for me, the timing was just was just really strange, man. I was in church and my pastor over at New Beginnings, Leslie Braxton, is a huge sports fan. And, and I wanted to tell him after the service was over, but somebody went up there while he was at the pulpit and mentioned it. So he, he said a prayer kind of for the Bryan family mm-hmm. doing the service. But I, I've never experienced anything like this, Mitch. Not a guy at the peak of life like, like, like he was, man. Like I said, bigger than life. And, then, you know, in my opinion, the only player I've ever seen with my own eyes better than Kobe was Michael Jordan. And I, I call Kobe Michael Shadow. I mean, because I think he just – he pretty much – Patterned his game after Michael played in the same system under Phil Jackson, and uh, you know was damn near just as good. Man, he was right there. Mm. So it just was a just a, just a very sad day. So he was much younger than you, not to age you. He was younger than you. You were towards the end of your NBA career when he came along. What do you remember? Any uh, any stories? Any anecdotes that might make us feel better about this? I know that we're not going to feel better, but. We'd love to hear from you on on Kobe's game and any stories you might have. Yeah, you know, he, I'm, I'm a lot older, but I came into the NBA in, in 95, 96 with the Houston Rockets, and he came in in 96, 97 with oh, the okay. Lakers. So 96, okay. 97, I was actually with the Atlanta Hawks, and I remember playing against him for the first time. And I, I remember, you know, coming out of the game and leaning over talking to my teammate at the time, Chucky Brown, and telling Chucky, I said, Chucky, man, this guy is going to be special. And Chucky was like, yeah, he'll be all right. I said, no, man, he's going to be the real deal. You know, he, the game was close, and he, he, took, he took one of the last shots for the Lakers back then. And back then I think they had Eddie Jones, yep. they had Shaq, they had Eldon Campbell. But he ended up taking the last shot, and it was an air ball. He airballed the shot. But just the fact that as a rookie he felt the confidence to take the shot – I was really impressed with, and I just, I just loved the way he played, and, and, and I could see then that he was going to be special. Did I, did I, did I know he was going to be as good as he ended up being? No, but that same game, he hit me with an elbow, and, and, and I never got it back. So I've always wanted to get it back, but, I, but I never did. But uh, you know, just the, the, the second greatest player I ever saw with my own eyes, man. I mean, I think it's, it's Michael Jordan, obviously, who I played against, and then it was Kobe. And like I said, their games were, were really, really close. Mitch, I don't know if you remember the video that went around when. You know, when Kobe's doing all the same moves that Michael was yeah, doing because yeah. they played in that same system for yeah. Phil Jackson. But he was right there, man. He's the, he's the second-best player I, I've ever seen doing, during my era of playing in the NBA. Uh, so he was 18 years old taking the final shot, literally right out of high school. 18 years old taking wow. the final shot and throwing out shots, throwing out elbows as an 18-year-old <laughs> rookie. Because when he hit me, I looked at him, I was like, what the hell? He's like, yeah, elbows. And I was like, okay, you do it again. We're going to be fighting. But he just uh, had that kind of, you know, he just had that kind of spunk about him, man. And, uh... 
I'll tell you another great story. My, yeah. my, my same friend Chucky Brown used to coach with the, the Los Angeles Defenders, which was their D-League team, and he told me they used to practice at 8 in the morning because the Lakers practiced at 10. So he said he would get to the gym at 7, and Kobe would already be in the gym full in a full sweat working out, and they, the Lakers didn't practice till 10. So that's just the kind of – kind of work ethic and, and, and stuff he had. And, and, I, and I'll tell you something else, Mitch. You know, fast forward to 2016 is last year. The All-Star game was in Toronto. I've got my son. My son is 15 now, so he was, he was what? He was like 11 or 12 then. Yep. And, I, you know, I took him in the back. And, you know, a lot of the times the superstar guys don't want to be bothered. They got their security around him. But I asked Kobe to take a picture with him, man, and sign his jersey. And he was gracious enough to stop, take a picture with my son, say, hey, what's happening? How you doing? Asked my son a few questions, man. So I was just really impressed with the type of person that he was, you know, off the court as well. Like I said, great competitor yeah. on the floor, yeah. but he was real gracious and respectful with his time off the court. And I, I just always had a, had a lot of respect for him. Eldridge Rakasner is the guest. Eldridge, you talk about how he looked like Michael, he acted like Michael, he talked like Michael, he even walked and, and just kind of carried himself like Michael. Do you think in the early years when he's 18, 19, 20, that that kind of hurt him? in terms of reputation, that everybody was like, look at this guy. He's just trying to be Michael Jordan as opposed to being himself. You think that was kind of a, a, a good thing or a bad thing early in his career, ER? I think it was a good thing. I think it's what motivated him to be as good as he was. You know, you, when, when you got the great players, you, you know, you always want to be like that. I'm, I'm pretty sure when Dr. J was at this prime and was the best player in the NBA, all the kids coming into the league wanted to be like him. Just like today, all the guys probably want to be like LeBron. So I, I I don't think it hurt him. I think it was a good thing. You know, it's, I wouldn't have bet everybody wants to be like Mike. You you've heard the commercial like Mike. I want to be like Mike, but but hell, not many of us can be like him. But Kobe, I be damn, he was damn near Mike. You know, oh. if somebody would have made a movie about Michael Jordan. And they would have asked somebody to play him, and it would have definitely been Kobe Bryant because he was right there, man. All right, all right get into, before you run on me, Eldridge Rakasner is our guest, my old friend. Get into a little bit of X's and O's with us. These guys that score like this anywhere on the floor, can you give us a sense of what, what is it? I mean, all you guys that played at that level could play and could score and were great scorers in high school and college. But something happens. What, what is it? Put your finger on it for us. What makes a guy like Kobe Bryant able to put up 30, 40, kind of name, he can kind of name his number, right? He wants to put up 50 in a night, he puts up 50 in a night. What is it about him that makes him able to do that? I think the thing that separated him was just his basketball IQ, man, his knowledge of the game. You know, if you, if you ever watch the little, I forget what they call it, the, the little feature that he does where he breaks down some of the stars of today, yeah. you know, playing. I, I watched one not too long ago on Kimball Walker. And just the way he looks at the game, he, I mean, he studies film like, like, like nobody. I mean, you can tell he just studied Michael. He must have watched Michael Jordan for 10 straight years because he had all of his moves down. But he, he studied everybody like that, that Mitch. I mean, you got a lot of players in the NBA that are great players, physical talent, but they don't have the mental side that Kobe did. When you look at Kobe, athletically he was phenomenal, but I think mentally he was just as good and he, he just studied the game every aspect of it man and he he knew what was coming he knew what he wanted to do and what nothing you could do about it so I think that's one of the things that I see that separated him from any other superstar that I've seen even Michael Jordan I don't even think Michael studied the game really? the way that Kobe did really? yeah I don't, I don't think he did really? I could be wrong but I don't, I don't think he did Kobe looked like he really sat down watched a lot of film he watched every single play, every single move that his opponents did. He studied his own. Chucky Brown just told me, he was like, man, L, if he missed a shot, 
he'll be in the gym practicing that shot, you know, all day the really? next day. Wow. You know, he hated he hated missing. So I think that's one of the things that separated him. It made him as good as he was because he not only was he physically gifted and had all the talent in the world, but he was he was prepared because he studied the game. Eldridge, how did teams play him? How did coaches coach against him? What was the defensive philosophy? Was it a team philosophy? How did you defend Kobe Bryant? The teams that defended him, let's say, somewhat well. Let's say that. The same the same way you did Michael Jordan. You prayed that, <laughs> <laughs> that he wouldn't embarrass you because you couldn't stop him. You know, you couldn't stop him. I mean, this guy played in the league for – listen to this, Mitch. He played in the league for 20 years, and in his 20th year, in his last game of the season, he scored 60. I mean, who does that? I mean, that's insane. So you, you, you couldn't stop him. You, you could only hope that he didn't embarrass you too much. I mean, he's got the second-highest scoring game in NBA history at 81 behind Will Chamberlain. You know, he was a 6'7", two-guard. You know, so, I mean, Kobe Bryant, man, he, he was just phenomenal. You know, when, when we played against him, you know, there, there wasn't nothing you could do to really stop him. You just, you just hoped that he missed. He tried to play good defense and hope he had some help because one-on-one you were just going to get torched just like you did when you were playing against Michael. I mean, he was, he was just that good, man. He was, he was phenomenal. Who's the best guy you ever saw defend him? Can you remember? The best guy I ever saw defend him? Um, yeah. You know what? I don't know. I, I mean, I know for a while Ruben Patterson of the Sonics was talking about <laughs> He was a Kobe stopper. I don't, I don't know how that worked out. But I, don't, I, don't, I can't recall anybody having much success, you know, guarding him. I, I, think, I think the guy from the, the Memphis Grizzlies back then, uh, Tony Allen, oh, yeah. is who I think I heard Kobe say was one of the toughest players for him to play against defensively. And, I, you know, I, I, would, I would think Tony Allen would be one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, what a sad, sad, tragic weekend. Just yeah, awful. Man. Just yeah. awful. I, I know that when we all saw the news, we all thought the same thing, which is this has got to be some sort of a really sick joke. Somebody's yeah, playing you, it. You, somebody's you just here. thought it was a rumor. You know, yeah. you were hoping that something would come out and say, yeah. oh, no, that's yeah. not the case. This is just a false rumor. But, you know, like I said, when I saw the – Email from the NBA, man. I, I, I knew it was real, and your heart just drops. You know, you just—I I, I honestly can't think of another day like this as far as, yeah. as sports. I mean, up until up until now, the, I think the biggest shock for me personally was when Buster Douglas beat Mike Tyson. I mean, I was numb, like, what, real? Yeah. But this is you talking about somebody losing their life, man. I don't, I don't think there's anything in the history of sports that could compare yeah. to this. Not for a guy in his prime like that at 41 years old. And kids, and kids. Yeah, and four kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, boy. Uh, Eldridge, thank you for doing this. Uh, great, great work on the TV. And uh, we'll talk to you sometime down the line. Really, really appreciate it. Okay, Miss. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Great to hear the voice of my old friend Eldridge Rakasner. I certainly wish it was under better circumstances. Just an awful weekend in the world of sports. Zeke's Pizza, a true blue Northwest original, 17 locations, the newest of which magnificent woodenville fireplaces a great bar area tons of tvs my sons and i were there not too long ago in fact somebody from another table even sent over a bowl of mushrooms i feel like i spent a lot of my time in 2019 at zeke's pizza the super bowl in february at the capitol Hill location which was new at the time we had the horrible loss to the cardinals the pac-12 tournament viewings in bothell ncaa tournament game at the new tacoma zeke's We even had our March Madness Levy family pool at Zeke's Bellevue like we do every single year. We choose Zeke's Pizza because it's much more than a sponsor. It's a partner, a place that I love, my family loves when we want to watch a sporting event all while enjoying some awesome Northwest pizza and a selection of craft beer which is unparalleled in the Northwest. We love Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. 
Unfiltered. Some records are broken while others are absolutely shattered. On Tuesday night, the NCAA single game scoring record was decimated by Jack Taylor, a guard on the Grinnell basketball team. Taylor posted a staggering 138 points off of 108 shots. Well, in 2012, our next guest on Mitch Unfiltered, episode 76, did what I would have thought was the impossible. Jack Taylor scored 138 points in an NCAA game for Grinnell College in Iowa. I'm going to say that again. He scored 138 points in a game, the greatest scoring performance in college basketball history. He also had a 109-point game, I believe, the following year. But as we will hopefully learn in the next few minutes, just a small part of an up-and-down story, just like the rest of us, that has a little of everything. Jack, thanks for being with us on the podcast. Hey, Mitch, thanks for having me. So go back to the beginning. You start as a, as a little boy growing up in Wisconsin with a one-track mind. All you wanted to do was what, Jack? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, I grew up in a house full of women. So I have three sisters. Uh, a mom and my dad worked on the road as a construction worker. So I was kind of on my own. So really I had a choice from a young age, was I going to play basketball or was I going to play Barbies with my sister? <laughs> and so uh, basketball was a sport that I was drawn to. Uh, it was a sport that I could just go outside, no one around and work on my game. I grew up out in the country. So just kind of isolated as, as a young boy and just completely fell in love. I mean, head over heels. Hollywood romantic type of love with the game of basketball. Now you have a small daughter. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, when you look back upon your one track mind as a kid, was that a healthy thing or an unhealthy thing? Do you think that's, that's, that's a great question. I, I, I knew from an early age that I was different from those around me, even those who I played basketball with at the middle school, high school, AAU level. I just had a, had a wiring. I think that was a lot different than most people. And I think my parents um, were a little bit sick of it growing up because that's all I wanted to do was play basketball. And now that I'm 29 years old, I'm realizing that how I was wired and how I kind of developed that mindset through the game of basketball has really helped me later in life. Mm -hmm. Who'd you want to be? What did you want to do? Did you want to be Kobe Bryant? Did you want to play college basketball at the highest level? Give us what your aspirations were as you were, I don't know, 14, 15, getting ready to go to high school. Yeah, you're, you're spot on. Kobe Bryant um, was my idol growing up from jerseys to books. In fourth grade, I would write Kobe on the top of my papers and my teacher would let me turn it in. That's how bad <laughs> I wanted to be like Kobe Bryant. <laughs> uh, but your story has ups and downs. It kind of begins with a terrible knee injury. After high school, you went to what? Prep school because you couldn't get you couldn't get a Division One scholarship offer. So you go to prep school yeah, and you have a knee injury. Yep, Talk about right, that. Talk right. about that. I year. was yeah. uh, I was a guy who was only five foot ten. So even though I think I had some of the skills of maybe a higher division guard. Um, I was undersized, yeah. um, and that was just the reality of the situation. I, I wanted to play at the highest level possible, so after high school, um, I was being recruited by some Ivy League schools on the East Coast, but they wanted me to take one, one gap year, and so I decided to play a year out in Pennsylvania at Mercersburg Academy. Um, I, nine games into the season out there, uh, just shattered my knee, tore my ACL, my MCL, my ma- lateral meniscus, had some 
severe bone bruising. Um, it was definitely the low point of my career and at the time of my life. And what'd you think? Did you think the basketball was over? Did you think about quitting? Did you think about where you were going to go next year? What happens next? Well, I think um, I knew I, w- I wanted to continue playing basketball. Um, that was no question in my mind that I wanted to continue to try to play. Um, but what I was devastated by was the lack of Division One offers. Um, that's what I really want. I wanted to play at the Division One level. And after that injury, um, of course, the coaches kind of stopped calling. They stopped, they stopped recruiting. They're, they're not interested because they don't want to take an undersized player who also maybe has a big injury on their hands. And so I was completely devastated because my dreams, my goals of playing Division One, one basketball were over. So the devastation, did that motivate you? to get better, to get healthier, to go to a Division three or Division two school and, and, and prove all these people wrong, or did it get you down, would you say, Jack? Yeah, I mean, I, it was probably the most depressed I've ever been in my life because it was at a point in my life where basketball was absolutely everything to me. Um, but I look back on it now, when even just outside of basketball, I really started, I grew up um, going to church as a kid, and really I kind of found my faith, my Christian faith for the first time, during that experience, realizing that maybe life is more than just the game of basketball. So I look back on it now with a lot of gratitude, but at the time I was really down in the dumps, but I I was able to kind of get back up and dust myself off and continue to try to pursue the dream of playing college basketball. Jack, we're talking about a guy just for our listeners to, to fully grasp this, who had a girlfriend in high school, as I understand it, you skipped out on your prom, you skipped out on her. To go play basketball somewhere. I, Is that right? I sure did. I sure <laughs> did. It was her junior prom, every high school girl's dream to take her boyfriend, and we've been dating for a few years. And I told her that I had to go play AAU basketball oh. in Akron, Ohio at the LeBron James Classic. Oh, and as you might imagine, that did not go over <laughs> well for me. But it, it turned out okay because she ended up becoming my first wife. And then I tell people she's still she's my only wife. Uh, but we at the end at the end of the day it all worked out. All right. So you after the knee injury you rehab and you end up at where Wisconsin Lacrosse is that right? The first year tell That's us. That's right. Wisconsin yeah. Lacrosse. It's a Division three um, NCAA school. One of the best Division three conferences in the nation. Yep. Okay. And how was that year for you? Um, I took a gap year again. I redshirted to rehab my knee, but that year went really well for me. Um, I, I, I thrived as a freshman under their program, but Grinnell College down in Iowa had been recruiting me ever since high school, but they were Division three, and they played a really weird style of basketball where they shot a lot of threes, um, kind of like the Houston Rockets and Golden State Warriors. And I wasn't sure whether I wanted to play in that type of system. Yeah. So I kept giving them the no, no, sorry, I don't want to come there. And then after my first year of playing traditional basketball at the college level, um, where I really wasn't as happy as I thought I would be playing the game of basketball, I thought that my skills as a five foot ten point guard, but who could shoot off the dribble, that my skills would be better served down in Iowa at Grinnell College. I read somewhere that in that first year, you stopped liking basketball, that you stopped liking practice. I mean, this is a guy, and when I read that, and maybe it was right, maybe it was wrong, you'll tell me, 
you know, that that struck me because here you are, a guy who did nothing but pra- you love to practice. You love to go out on the gravel, on the gravel driveway at home when you were a kid. You did nothing but practice. You 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 thrived in practice, and here you were not liking practicing basketball anymore in your first year at Wisconsin Lacrosse. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And it was strange. And so I, I knew that whether it was because partly my fault, whether it was the coach's fault or the program's fault, whosever fault it was. Um, I knew to, I knew that I needed a change of scenery. Okay, and you went to Grinnell after turning them down, and you got involved in this system. Now, before I give the stats, you have to tell people about the Grinnell system because no one's going to understand or be able to comprehend a guy who took 108 shots in a game. No one is going to be able to understand that in our audience unless they get a some something of a feel for the kind of system that Grinnell played year after year. Explain that to us. Yeah, Grinnell, like I said, Grinnell basketball was like the Houston Rockets, was like the Golden State Warriors, except it was on steroids. So what we would do is we would shoot three-pointers and layups, no mid-range shots. Um, We would press the entire game. We would um, sub guys in five players at a time, so kind of like hockey substitution where a whole shift comes in and out. That's what we would do at Grinnell College. And when I was on the floor, and I had, of course, four teammates around me, my job in the system offensively in that shift was to score the basketball. So the role of the other four players on my team aren't to shoot the basketball. It's to get me the ball, get offensive boards, play defensively, um, and let me take over the offense. Okay. November 20th, 2012, Jack. November 20th, 2012. 52. I just don't understand how you could shoot 100, even with all the things that you just said. I mean, I'm thinking of James Harden. There's no way James Harden could shoot it 108 times in a game. 52 out of 108 for you, 27 of 71, 71 three-point shots. In 36 minutes, you shot three times per minute. You had 80 in the second half on way to 138 points. You have to tell us, I mean, you must remember that night like it was yesterday. Give us as, as best a vivid account of what it was like to be in the zone and to be shooting like that and shooting that much and the crowd with the cell phones and everything else, Jack. Yeah, going into the game, I was on a shooting slump. We had opened up the season um, and really my career in a Grinnell College uniform, and I had shot just really bad, like less than 20%. So going into this game, we were playing Faith Baptist Bible College, which by that name, you might assume that they're not as good as we were. And you'd be right. They were not. So our coach said, hey, we could play these guys, beat them by 50, play all of our bench players, and no one's going to remember this for the rest of their lives. Or we could get our best player out of a shooting slump by seeing if we can go for a record and have him shoot the ball every single time down the floor. So this was not a regular game. This was a set game plan going into the game, which a lot of people I think criticize. But but if you look at basketball history, Wilt Chamberlain's 100-point game, that was a game that was set up. Yeah. The 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 record the NCAA record that I broke from Bevo Francis who scored 113 points that game was set up as well. Okay. So this was all the game plan and in the first half I actually didn't shoot that well. I was not in the zone. I just shot a lot. I shot the ball <laughs> like you say. I mean I I shot the ball three times a minute. And then in the second half yeah. 
I was able to redeem myself and I really got hot at the right time. And I ended the game, I think hitting six or seven straight three pointers, which really redeemed myself from a really bad shooting performance. And it was just unbelievable. It was a ton of fun. And does a guy who's scoring 138 points in a college basketball game, do you realize where you are during the course of the game? Does, do you getting updates and timeouts? Are people telling you, hey, you got 110 or you got 112? Or do you have absolutely no idea? And what was the what, what was the Were there a lot of people there and the people that were there? I know there's a lot of people that say they were there. What were they doing during all of this? Yeah, and I did not know how many points I had during the game. Um, I remember the only thing I can remember really is how stinking tired I was <laughs> because um, shooting that many shots as a jump shooter, not a set shooter, my legs were just completely toast. And I knew, though I knew by the end of the game that something special was going on because as I was taking my last couple shots, I was looking in the crowd and everyone had their phones out. So I knew something special must be going on. All right. No double, no triple teams, or were you getting double and triple team that it didn't, it didn't matter? You just, you got free for jump shots anyway. Yeah. They were just single coveraging me. Okay. Sometimes when I would drive, of course, they would throw a double and a triple team yeah, at me, but yeah, yeah. Um, I was a guy who could create off the dribble. I wasn't coming off screens shooting off screens, um, I was able to, kind of like an Allen Iverson, just get my shot off whenever I wanted to. And for some reason, why they didn't throw all five guys at me, I don't know. But, you know, I wasn't going to complain. I was just going to keep shooting. <laughs> and what was the nation's reaction? Did you hear from LeBron, Kobe? I know you did lots of shows the next day. What was the, uh, the 15 minutes of fame like for you, now looking back upon it in retrospect? It became real when I was standing on the court after the game with my family, and I knew it was kind of a big deal, of course, scoring over 100 points, but this is a small Division three liberal arts school, not really known for its basketball prowess, and things really became real when an employee of Grinnell College came down on the floor and said, hey, Jack, I need you upstairs because Sports Center's on the phone, uh-huh. and I'm just a small-town Wisconsin kid, uh-huh. and all my dreams are about to come true, at least from the perspective of growing up dreaming that I could make Sports Center because of basketball performance, that I could, you know, um, get some of that recognition of, of success, and it really blew up from there. Kobe Bryant, who was my childhood idol, um, spoke highly of my game, wow. especially at a time when people were criticizing my performance. Like a game like this shouldn't Selfish. be lifted up because it's bad for the game of basketball. Right. Um, it wasn't a real record because it was a set game plan. Kobe Bryant actually defended me and said that it was impressive as did Kevin Durant and Carmelo Anthony and LeBron James. And so um, it was a ton of fun, of course, growing up as a kid who loved the NBA. Good morning, America. The today show, all that stuff. All that stuff. My 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 hardest interview was with Jimmy Kimmel. Oh, really? Um, it was a late night show, and he threw some really hard questions by me that was live. I was live uh, via Skype, and so yeah. I didn't have time to prep. They didn't give me the questions. And one of the first questions that he asked me was, uh, Will Ch- you broke Will Chamberlain's record of scoring 100 points, and he claimed to have slept with 10,000 women. <laughs> How close are you, Jack, to breaking that record? And I'm sitting in the chair – you know, my, my, uh, my school's reputation, my family's reputation yeah. is all on the line, and I have to answer this in two seconds. Uh, and what and is, I just told them say? that I'm really far behind. <laughs> How did you feel, Jack, about 
the naysayers that you just talked about, about, you know, the articles and people saying this was selfish, this wasn't real basketball, this was unsports. I mean, you're a good Christian boy. What, 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 the, you know, selfishness and unsportsmanlike, did that hurt? Did those things hurt? Or did you know, because of what you said about all the other people, all the other setups, all the Will Chamberlains and all the other different things, um, did you know in your heart that it wasn't what everybody was making it out to be? I think I think that game, like you said, it set up a lot of praise. People, I think, overpraising me that that thought I was going to make the NBA. I was an automatic draft pick, all the way down to this kid is absolutely nothing. And I, I I knew that neither of those extremes were right, and so we had to find a middle ground. Um, and all the criticism that came my way, I tried to remember that hey, this was a set game plan. They didn't. They might not know the context of the basketball game. They might not know that I play for an insane basketball coach who lets me shoot every time down the court. And at the end of the day, I think if you asked every single basketball player, yeah. hey, if your coach let you shoot every time down the floor, <laughs> would you do it? I think most of them would probably say yes, because they've done it playing 2K before, yeah. and I was just able to do it in real life. Yeah. You, you say that you knew that the two extremes were wrong, that, that implies to me that you maybe had aspirations to be an NBA player, but you kind of knew in the back of your mind, look, I'm 5'10", I can score a lot, I can shoot a lot, but I'm not going to be in the NBA. Or did you think at that time, did that, did that performance, did the 36 points per game that year and then the 109-point game the following year, did those things kind of play tricks with your mind, making you think, well, wait a second, maybe I can play with Kobe Bryant on the NBA level? Um, I, I, I think I always knew that the NBA was out of reach. Um, I, I was a kid who had the offensive skill set to create for myself, but I wasn't a, a guy who could really um, you know, utilize a pick and roll like they do at that level. Right. I wasn't going to defend at that level. I wasn't going to be able to move off the ball um, like they do at that level. And so I did realize that the NBA was probably out of reach, um, but that that it was okay because my goal was to be the best basketball player that I could possibly be with my God-given talent. And at the end of the day, I hope that I fulfilled that goal. You also scored 100. Yeah, uh, by the way, he got hurt again, a broken arm, uh, ended that season after the 138-point effort. The following year, you had 109, which I think at the time was the third biggest in NCAA history. You had 109 points in 29 minutes the following year. You you texted me that a guy quit on the opposing team. you got to explain that. A guy quit? Somebody trying to defend you quit after that 109-point game? Yeah, going into the game, I think their team maybe realized that I was shooting again every single time down the court. And they had a player, one of their guards, defending me, and he was just doing just some dirty stuff. He was stepping on my shoes purposely, trying uh, to get in my ear, uh-huh. and then that just made me even more angry. And so <laughs> as I was just continually torching him, because in my 109-point game, I think that might have even been a better game than my 138-point game. Yeah. I was more efficient. I played less minutes. And this defender of mine, at, in the middle of the game, after one of my made threes, he walked off the court and off into a locker room. And so they were only playing with four. And I saw an assistant coach run to get the kid. And I heard from the team after the game that that kid had just quit the game of basketball. And I don't know if he ever returned to the program or not, but it was just, it was just kind of an interesting uh, story from that game that I remember. 
I might have made a kid quit. Uh, Jack, I think the sad the sad part for me as a college basketball fan when when reviewing your story and researching your story, and I don't know whether this is still the case, is falling out of love with basketball, not wanting to ever touch a ball. When was the last time you had a basketball in your hands, Jack? You're 29 years old. You could still be playing and shooting. When was the last time you shot a basketball? You know, I've actually started to warm up to the game again a little bit. I have a daughter, three-year-old daughter, who um, – who likes basketball. She's heard about some stories of her dad. She's starting to dribble and starting to shoot on a little hoop. Um, and so after the, after I was done playing college basketball, you know, I think there's, you know, two types of athletes. There's athletes who um, continue to want to be around the game for the rest of their lives. And then I think there's players who want to step away and do other things and find other challenges in life and just kind of leave their respective sports behind. And I, I think I'm one of the latter athletes that I, after I was done playing basketball, I was a guy who wanted to find challenges outside of the game. And I wasn't a guy who was continually involved in the game of basketball anymore. I didn't play anymore. Um, I wasn't shooting. I wasn't playing any pickup. I completely stepped away from the game. Um, and I, 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 I would have never thought that that would happen. As, as a young boy, I thought I would just love the game forever. But passions change. And for me, the passion for the game of basketball um, kind of ceased after my yeah. career was over. Okay, but, but you went from a kid, as you just pointed out, whose basketball was his whole life, skipped his prom to go to basketball, not, did nothing else, one-track mind, and had all of this great success, individual success, some team success. And you, you went from that to a guy who refused to watch basketball on television? You wouldn't even watch a game on TV. Something something happened. you got to go more into depth for us on what gave you a bad taste or, or what prompted you to want to absolutely distance yourself from the game. Well, if I was completely honest with you, I think I stepped away from the game partly because I had accomplished what I wanted to accomplish as a player. Um, I, I think that I became the best player player that I could possibly be, even though I didn't play at a professional level. And so I knew it was time for me to move on with life and start new challenges. And I knew that I loved the game of basketball so much that if I was continually immersed in it, yeah. I was watching Steph Curry come off screens and hitting threes, yep. that I would miss the game of basketball so much um, that it wouldn't be good for me. You know, I've, I kind of relate it to if if you have a bad breakup or you have an old girlfriend, yeah. is, it, is it good for you to continue to think about her, to talk to her, to look back on it if you're currently married, if you're currently in a different situation? And so for me, basketball was kind of my ex-girlfriend that for my mental health, it was better for me to step away from the game than continually think, hey, maybe I should try to continue to play. Yeah. Hey, maybe I could have done this or that. Maybe, you know, just just thinking about the what if. Mm. And so for me, after my career was over, it was better for my mental health to step away from the game because looking back on basketball every single day, missing it, loving it, was, wasn't going to be good for me and it wasn't going to allow me to succeed yeah. in other areas of my life. All right, Jack, I'm going to ask you the most difficult question. I've saved it for last. you got to give me the All most right. the most, uh, the most honest answer that you can. You now look back. You're 29 years old. You're in the you're in the film production business back in in your home state, I believe. 
You look back upon the 138. You look back upon the 109. You look back upon the uh, the accomplishments, the injuries, the ups and downs, the first college, the prep school. If you could snap your fingers and change one or two things, do one or two things differently, and you can't say, Mitch, nope, I have no regrets. I, I wouldn't change anything because we'd all we'd all like to go back and change at least one thing. What would the one thing or two things in your life or in basketball that you would change if you could? Um, I'll, I'll get to a funny answer first, and then I'll give you a real one. The okay. funny one is that I tell people, you know, after all the criticism, when I look back on my 138-point game, I only regret one thing, which is not shooting the basketball more. <laughs> and, of course, everybody laughs. Uh, but I think um, – Something that still kind of eats at me sometimes, if I'm going to be 100% honest with you, is that after graduating from Grinnell College, um, I tried to play professional basketball. I, I had a D-League tryout at a, a tryout for EuroLeague overseas at a really high level. Didn't play too well in those. And instead of continuing to try to play professionally at a low level, maybe not making a whole lot of money, what I did was I just completely stepped away from the game. Um, and now I'm 29 years old and I look back on it and sometimes I feel like I owe my 12 year old self who wanted to play professional basketball that maybe I should have just went and played in Germany for free for a year or two. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should have went and played, you know, somewhere else for not much salary just for the love of the game. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I think back on it. Sometimes I still think, what if I pick up the basketball right now as a 29 year old, could, could I go play over there for you know, a couple hundred bucks a month. And so those are the regrets that I think is I never played at the professional level. Those quit, are my regrets. Quit too early. Yep, quit, quit too early. Quit too early. Jack, you're terrific to share your story. I know you've uh, you've been asked a million times to talk about it, and I'm I'm captivated by it. Being a big uh, a fan of life and a fan of college basketball, I wish you, your wife, your daughter. I hope that we're reading clippings about your daughter someday in the future. You know, Jack Taylor's daughter scores 30 in leading her high school basketball team to uh, to victory. I hope I'm I'm able to read something of success for the rest of your family. Thanks so very much. For for sharing your story with us. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. 138 points in November of 2012. The story of Jack Taylor and one of the greatest, if not the greatest, performances in college basketball history. And we appreciate Jack Taylor's participation on episode 76. It's time, if not for a refinance, to at least check out what the numbers are in the threes and the high threes and whether you could save money every single month and do what my executive producer, Steve Dion, did. Just make the call to Jordan Flowers and his team at the Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage. Yeah, I gave uh, Jordan a buzz in uh, late July. Um, was interested to get a uh, quote on a refi, um, just the way the market has been with, with interest rates dropping as they have. Kind of tailored a, a mortgage around my preferences. One of the main parts that was appealing was the fact that he was able to cut out my mortgage insurance. Uh, he bought that out completely, um, really consolidated the loan into one clean monthly payment. 
amortized over a shorter time horizon and at a lower rate. Really easy process. You know, I'm working with Jordan and Christina there. Not not bad for a coog. You know, I I was uh, hesitant to put my uh, put my dollars and cents into uh, the hands of a, a Wazoo grad, but. You know, it all turned out t- turned out well th- thus far. From beginning to end, Steve, how long did it take? It took about a month total. How long was the first phone conversation until you determined what you could save per month? It's about a 15-minute call. When you include the mortgage insurance, how much less are you paying per month now on a percentage basis thanks to the refi with the Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage? I'm paying about 8 to 10% less a month. On top of that, uh, we'll be paying for five less years. So it's kind of a win-win on both both sides. So my line on the podcast that you're crazy not to call the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage with the low interest rates at the moment, just to find out what you could be saving in a refinance is on point. Well, it, it's valid unless you want to spend more money every month. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> oh, and Mitch, one last thing. Where's my Tumblr? (laughs) There it is. Stop standing on the sidelines. Guild Mortgage and the Kirkland office at 425-250-3150. You could start saving big time today. Unfiltered. Our next guest on episode 76 is the subject of a new documentary. It's called Uppity, the Willie T. Ribs story. He's the first African-American to test a Formula One car and then race in the Indianapolis 500. He's a guest on Mitch Unfiltered. Here he is, Willie T. Ribs. Mr. Ribs, great, great pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, what's going on up there? I hear it's raining. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a pretty good guess. It's a pretty good guess. Now, they call the show uppity they call you the jackie robinson of auto racing as i understand it that's the nickname you were labeled when you came back from europe to race in the states and uppity wasn't a nice term there was actually more to that label right well yeah when i was in england racing and i won my first championship there i was a race driver and a fast one and that's how they knew me and uh when i came back to the united states um you know, I, there was a lot of pushback, and uh, it wasn't a warm welcome home, despite my success in England. And uh, but you know that I was expecting that. I wasn't expecting quite, uh, you know the, you know the the negative, but uh, that wasn't that wasn't going to slow me down I wanted, at all. As, I, as a matter of fact, it fueled you. It sort of turned me on. Yeah. Yeah, I saw a recent interview where you said you got a chuckle out of it and actually you used it as fuel to move forward. And I know that comes from your dad and your grandfather and your inspirations. And I want to talk all about that. But before we get there, and I want to also speak of some of the uncomfortable truths behind your story. But before we get there, I kind of want to start at the end and work backwards. You're in your 60s now. You're living in Texas. You're living the good life. Maybe there'll be a movie. Maybe there'll be a series about you. I want you to reflect on the prejudice 
the taunting, the opposition now. What goes through your mind as a 60 or 65-year-old man now that's different than what was going on through your mind? Maybe there's nothing different when you were a young young kid just trying to do what you what you aspired and dreamed of. Well, unfortunately, not much has changed in the sport. Um, you know, the, it's still, it looks the way uh, it has always looked. You know, I broke, and I when I went uh, into the sport, it was about racing. I had no interest in being a pioneer. I had no interest in making any type of history other than, than winning races. And the only color barrier I was interested in breaking was the black and white checkered yeah. flag. Yeah, yeah. That was the only barrier I wanted to break. So, you know, I got back, and, and I was lucky. I had a family that was financially able to send me to Europe and, um, you know, and, and become, you know, start my career off. And, uh, you know, I grew up in San Jose, California, and uh, there, I, didn't, I didn't see any obstacles. You know, it, there, it wasn't a segregated city. There was only 0.2% African-American anyway. So uh, I remember um, I went down. I was in NASCAR. Went down to NASCAR. I think it was uh, down down in North Carolina. Uh-huh. And one of the old boy mechanics. He was. I mean, you know, the, his long hair couldn't cover up that red neck, right? <laughs> right. So he um, he says, "Well, uh, well, Willie, uh, you know, you know, you come, you're down here from." Up there in California, we, you know, we do things differently down here, and and I, I got to tell you, not, most of these people in racing down here, they they never, they never was around Negroes. How old were you at the time, Willie? Continue the story, but how old were you? I was twenty four. Okay, go ahead, continue. So uh, <laughs> I looked at him and and laughed, and I said. Uh, uh, I hadn't been around Negroes either. <laughs> <laughs> and and he and it, and it just it, it took him. He just looked uh, at me like a deer in headlights, uh, and uh, and that was it. Uh, and then it sort of it, it, it disarmed him. It disarmed up, but he started yeah. right then. Oh God! Wait, wait a second. Now go back to the beginning of your driving days. Yeah, and the love of driving fast. You know, when we all get our license at 16 or 15 or 17, we all want to drive fast as kids. But you you took it to extremes. You ever get uh, – you got pulled over a few times, I'm sure, for reckless driving at a young age, right? Yeah, I did. I did. I got a couple of them. The first one, I was 13. No. And, and uh, the, they didn't take me to jail. They called, and back in those days, everyone in San Jose, California, knew my family because okay. of my grandfather's success as a as a, a businessman and plumbing contractor. So when I got pulled over, the the he couldn't see me through the back window because I was too small. So he walked up to the car, and it was my brother's Lotus Cortina, uh-huh. and he said. Uh, he says, I'm not going to ask you for a driver's license. <laughs> <laughs> he says, "He says, what's your name? He says, are you the ribs, one of the ribs boys? Uh-huh. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> so I, he, went, we, he went back to the car. He just said, just stay in here. 
and don't drive away. I didn't know that he was even after me because he told me when my mom got there to pick me up. Because in those days, indeed, nowadays they arrest you. Yeah. He called my mother. They called my mother, and she came and picked me up off the mountain road. And and she, he told my mother when we were standing there. He says, um, "Your kid is." quite a driver um he was pulling away from me i wouldn't have caught him unless he turned around and was doing a u-turn to come back down the hill oh god that's funny that's funny when did you realize willie that uh you wanted to make a career out of it and at the point that you did realize that you wanted to do it for good did you understand the lack of diversity in the sport or did you have no idea what you were getting yourself into in that regard like I said, all my dad's friends were race drivers. Yeah. And when you're young, you're not looking at color of people's right, skin. Right. All you're looking at is that the heroes that, that you followed drove race cars. And I thought, and in my mind, if I like racing, everyone must be good people in it. I see. And that, that's how I went about it. And when I went to England... And race, there was no opposition. No, I was, um, it was just great. The environment I was in, the people I were around, they were racers. And that's, they didn't see me. They, there was no issues. What year? At all in What Europe. year did you go to Europe? 1977. It's 1977. And you see, the, the re, there's so much to love about you and your story. And I, and I have not seen the documentary, but I hope everybody will and I will. There's so much to love about your story, uh, one of the smallest of which is just your toughness and your ability to take it on and not let it divert you, and you were going to accomplish your goal. This is what you dream. There would have been a lot of people, I would say 99 out of 100 in your shoes, that would have let the negativity get to them so much so that it would have scared them away. But you had... Willie, you have the upbringing of some tough guys, some tough men in your life, and you just didn't give a shit. I mean, you, you loved Muhammad Ali, and your grandfather is kind of legendary. We, we want to know. Tell our audience more about your grandfather. I want a good, I want a good grandfather story from you on the podcast. Well, before I, go, in, before I uh, go into that, Bobby Unser, who I'm very close with. As a matter of fact, I talk with him today. I talk to Bobby Unser maybe four or five times a okay, week, okay. and he's 84 years old. Okay. And he told me, he said, I'm going to tell you, not many drivers could have dealt with what you dealt with. Yeah. And racing's hard enough, but for you to have to deal with the, the distractions, all built around what color your skin was, he says it was unnecessary. And of all the old school drivers, he has been the one that has been most supportive That's of awesome. me and, and my career. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah. and getting on to Henry Ribs. And I mean, he came to, he, from was... Louisiana. His father was very well off. Yeah. Uh, he, my, my great-grandfather, Felix Beck, was in the timber industry. Okay. And uh, he, he had a lot of timberland that he sold, uh, that he made railroad ties for the railroad companies. Uh -huh. And... Um, that was one of his businesses. So my grandfather and his brother moved to California when they were 21. My grandfather ended up learning the plumbing business because all he knew was agriculture when he left Louisiana. And, um, and, and my grandfather's father was German. He was a no-nonsense. No and no Henry, my grandfather, was no-nonsense. No-nonsense. He had no 
no time for uh, excuses. And and when I was on the ranch, uh, he worked the hell out of me. There was it, you didn't debate on whether you wanted to do it or not. That's what you were going to do. And and he would have no tolerance for these young kids today talking about depressed and need to go see a psychologist. His medicine when you were depressed was a shovel. Uh-huh. He wasn't one a for shovel. he wasn't one for accolades either. He wasn't one for pa- passing out pleasantries. He was what oh, you No, gonna- no, no. He is what he wanted to know. He saw me race Sears Point and I won the race. And after the race, I came from the press uh, press room, and he says, "He said that was a good job." He says, "What could you have done better?" <laughs> I won the race. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Europe first in the 1970s, and they were much more tolerant and accepting of minorities than the sport in the U.S. Obviously, then you come across 17 wins in a Trans Am series. But all the racial opposition getting into NASCAR and Formula One. Do you remember that? Obviously, you remember the NASCAR debut. What year was it? Where it was? And and count us and kind of share with our listeners the the months, weeks, and days leading up to that race and what you had to deal with, Willie. Well, Formula One wasn't an opposition because it's international, and Formula One is is you know most of the drivers that in Formula One. They are supported by multinational companies from their country. I see. So I never had any opposition from Formula One. IndyCar did not uh, pave the road at all. Okay. They, they, there was, it, that was a, you know, they weren't as nasty as NASCAR. However, they, they weren't, you know, they didn't see anything. Okay. They were put their head in the sand. I see. So um, when I did my first NASCAR race, I, it was 1986. Okay, where? It, it was uh, North Wilkesboro okay. uh, yeah. in uh, North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, maybe about an hour, hour and a half north of Charlotte. Uh-huh. That was my first race. And I, was stand, it was, I qualified for the race. And at driver introduction, I was standing next to Dale Earnhardt Sr., and he was just a, just a great, him and his son are just wonderful people. Dale was a good person. And I was standing next to him and Daryl Waltrip. And when they called my name, the whole, the whole stadium booed. I mean, they, everybody in it booed. And I, and I, it, it, they booed so loud. I started laughing <laughs> because I was thinking, well, damn, at least they know who I am. Right. Yeah. Right. And and Earnhardt looked at me and he sort of dropped his head. I could tell he was uncomfortable with it. And I looked at him and I just smiled and walked up on the up onto the stage where the where the driver introduction is. Well the 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 trophy queens dressed in their white uniforms with Winston, uh they looked at me and started smiling. I gave him a hug. You want to boo? <laughs> I'm going to give you something to boo. <laughs> but there were death threats leading up to that. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Before that. Okay. Well, I was getting letters and, well, I was getting phone calls. But in those days, I, I didn't, I'd get a hang up and a click, you know, or, or one of these, uh, <laughs> you're dead, right? Really? And, and I'd get letters. I, you know, I thought, I thought, well, you know what? This is exciting. 
Really? You weren't scared that, at that's all? How I, they that, didn't scare I you thought, at all? You know, I came off a ranch where what my hobby was was shooting. And, in fact, my son, Theo Ribs, is one of the top shooters in the country right now. In fact, oh. he just he's down in Florida competing right now. Okay. And, um, and he's national K-Cup champion, etc. Um, I was not afraid of anybody. Really? Uh, threatening me because I knew they couldn't outshoot me. So <laughs> that was never uh, – and, and being with Muhammad Ali and training with Muhammad Ali and him being my mentor, I could handle myself uh, that way as yeah, well. Yeah, but weren't you, weren't you scared that you'd come to a race and ill-prepared to get into any kind of a struggle, that somebody would do something terrible from the stands? or It, it never no, dawned on no, you. It never I, dawned on I you. I had Donnie with me. Who's Donnie? <laughs> Donnie's my six foot five, two hundred and seventy five pound cousin, <laughs> who who used to play for the Bengals. Okay, okay. So yeah, and, and Donnie went with me, and he wore a big cowboy hat. Okay, <laughs> you do okay? too. You wear a big and, cowboy hat. <laughs> yeah, uh, you. Um, if people go to my Facebook, yeah. Uh, fan page. They'll see how big Donnie is. Okay. <laughs> you didn't mess with Donnie. And so right? I had no, I had no problems. Okay. And there shouldn't have been any problems. No, of course not. Of course not. When did you? Uh, and you're going to tell me it never did. But when did you notice any racism starting to at least subside a little bit? Was it when you became? when you proved to people that you had some acumen for the sport and there, along with it came respect, at what point did a little of this stuff, I know it's still not where we want it to be, but when did it start to get a little bit better, Willie? Do you remember After that? my third fist fight. Really? After oh, yeah. third yeah, fist they, fight? They, they sort of got the, they got the message. Who, 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 where, what, what fist fight are we talking about here? <laughs> it was one of the drivers. I'm not going to mention his name, but uh, it's folklore in the industry. And, uh, and as a matter of fact, it's in the documentary film. Okay. Is oh, yeah, it's in the film. I'm not going to give it away, but I got to tell you, uh, they got it after that. What did he say it to was, you? What did he say to you? And uh, you don't give me the name, but what did he say, say to you and what happened? Oh, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, the N-word. It was what happened on the racetrack, and uh, and and I wasn't going to tolerate it, especially the, on the, by the way it happened. Yeah. And um, you know, word got out. Well, we I guess we better leave uh, leave Mr. Uh, Willie T alone because uh, the only only N word we want now is nice. <laughs> okay. All right. And in 1993, you became the first African-American to finish the Indianapolis 500. But I, I read where you said that corporations, you never got the corporate support that you, no, you, no, need, that was, you, need, that, that, you need. Yeah, that was, you never were able to fully realize your potential because in that business, and I don't know, I told you before we started, I don't know anything about that business, but in that business, you need funding. You need corporate funding. You need a great team behind you before you can do what you are able to do, right? Well, with, with great teams comes uh, great sponsors. Yeah. And, you know, the, the industry and the advertising industry, that includes the automobile manufacturers. They, they weren't, um, they weren't warm. They weren't nasty to me, but they had no interest in, uh, in seeing me 
keep winning. You know, and, you know, when I was racing in Trans Am, I won. When I raced in IMSA, I won. Every uh, championship that I was in, that I was on a level playing field, and technically, yeah. I was winning races. And uh, it didn't happen in IndyCar. Hmm. What would you have been if you had a team like that and that funding behind you, Willie? Oh, without question. To, for example, Roger Penske's team. Roger Penske just bought the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. He just bought the IndyCar Championship. Um, to be on a team like that is – I'm going to use football in, as an analogy. Okay. When I was racing IndyCar, I, my team was a, equivalent to a college team. And Roger Penske was the NFL. Okay. So – you know, if you're uh, Mario Andretti's got a great saying: if it takes a thousand components to win, and you've got nine hundred ninety-nine, you're at a disadvantage. Well, I was at five hundred. I see. And you know, I I wasn't going to let that stop me. You know, I I was just you know, hey, keep doing it, keep grinding away. Maybe the big deal will come along. Well, the big deal never came along, and I never got a call from Roger Penske. And uh, or some of the other top teams, so I had to, you know, go with what was available. And you're telling me that in 2020, an African American race car driver, a young one that like you, like Willie T. Ribs, comes along. You're telling me it's not going to be much different in 2020 for him than it was for you. Is that correct? Nothing has changed. Really? It looks just the same really? as it did when how I is that got po- there. How is that possible, Willie? How is that possible? Because the sport just doesn't get it. And now Formula One gets it. Formula One has got it because Lewis Hamilton, he's not African-American, but he's, he's uh, black English, right? Okay. Lewis Hamilton is six-time world champion. One of the greatest, if not the greatest driver to ever drive Formula One. And he's black man. And he's very well, he's being paid $60 million a year to drive. And Formula One got it. Bernie Ecclestone. Yeah. Bernie Ecclestone, Mr. Formula One, yep. saw Lewis and saw a, a market that is phenomenal. Mercedes, I applaud Mercedes for, for, for putting uh, Lewis in a spot where he could win with no obstacles. Mm-hmm. The Germans are just that way. Mm. All they care about is winning. Right. And uh, Mercedes has done it. They've won more manufacturer championships in a row than anybody. Lewis Hamilton is six-time world champion. And, uh, and now, word has it, uh, all the Africans in every country in Africa drive Mercedes because of Lewis Hamilton. So why, why not NASCAR, and what is it going to take? What do you think it's going to take for this to change? I can't believe in 2020 we're still talking about it. I guess I'm just naive, Willie. I, I, I'm sorry to say there'll be probably two more uh, African-American presidents before you'll see a champion NASCAR African-American driver. Now, that's a hell of a statement, but they are not doing anything. 
They might claim they have a diversity. For, ah, we're in the diversity. Yeah, yeah, we are. Yeah, we, we're going to get some uh, uh, course workers out here. That's diversifying. So, um, but you know, they got a kid down there right now named Wallace, and no, no, no relation to George. And uh, <laughs> he's uh, he's trying to. Uh, to deal with what he's dealing with, yeah. and uh, you know, I saw I saw a uh, a front a article on him, and the title was uh, uh, "Bubba Wallace in Tears," right? In tears. Mm. Well, if that's true, uh, you better wipe them tears off, son. The hyenas go after the ones that are weak. Mm. Well. Uh, it's a shame. It's really sad in a lot of different ways, but I applaud you for telling your story, and I think that the, the documentary has been incredibly well-received. Before we finish up, what's next for you? What's next in Willie T. Ribs' life? Well, um, we're, we're of course, we're promoting the film. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, support. Uh, when people see it, it's just there's a lot of things happening, and we'll be making announcements uh, in the next ten days okay. uh, regarding the film. It's uh, uh, Jay Leno saw it, and he was in tears. I'm sure. Yeah, he was in tears. So, um, you know, it 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 it, it tells a story, and it but overall the story is not about. Uh, racing. It's about a guy who was not going to be denied. And that's what it's about. Uppity, the Willie T. Rib story. Uh, my privilege, really a privilege to spend the last 15 or 20 minutes with Mr. Willie T. Ribs. Thank you, sir. Thanks for being on the podcast. All right. Good luck up there. Wow. What a hell of a story and a heck of a man. Willie T. Ribs, the first African-American to test a Formula One car and race in the Indianapolis 500. I told you last week that these last now two episodes of Mitch Unfiltered would literally, not figuratively, literally not be possible without Evergreen Golf Call. Our audio mixer self-destructed a couple of weeks and Tyler Hay to the rescue. Evergreen Golf Call and the Evergreen Exchange happen to have one that we borrowed and boom, here we are. Thank goodness. I mean, where the heck would we be without Evergreen Golf Call? For decades, Evergreen has been responsibly growing people's money from all over the world. Tyler Hayes' brother, Adam, spearheaded the Evervestment program. For those of us that wouldn't be classified as, let's say, high wealth individuals, Evergreen Golf Call deeply cares about its Northwest roots, whether it's the Boys and Girls Club or this podcast, Mitch Unfiltered, a charitable pillar in the community and a major reason why we continue to produce new episodes of Unfiltered every single week. The title sponsor of our March Madness Pool and our major championship challenge for all expense-paid trips doled out in 2019 by Evergreen, including the bucket list golfing trip to Pebble Beach. So check out evervestment.com, E-V-E-R-V-E-S-T-M-E-N-T.com and see what Evergreen could do for you. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Just beat the play clock. Oh, he goes down! Frank Clark got him! And this game is over! No timeouts, and now inside of two minutes. Aired out downfield, and picked! 
Richard Sherman gets his fourth in his postseason career and ends this game. Well, it's the final countdown until the uh, the Super Bowl in Miami. It's finally going to be here shortly. The Chiefs and the Niners, our buddy Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman, podcast and radio superstar, RossTucker.com, Ross Tucker NFL on Twitter. Uh, it's here. I normally don't waffle in my picks, Ross, but that's not to say that I'm correct all the time. But for me, I'm having trouble with this one because I feel like San Francisco's the more balanced, well-rounded football team. But as we all know, the quarterback position has a way of changing all that. Does this just come down to Mahomes and Garoppolo? What do you think? Well, it's funny that you say that because right after the conference championship games, I was thinking Kansas City. Now, either way, by the way, I think it's going to be an awesome game. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I have a sports betting podcast called the Even Money Podcast. I said to go ahead and take the over on that podcast, even though it keeps going up. I mean, I think it's like a 38-35 game. And I thought Mahomes and the Chiefs, because in a close game late, I'm going to go with the better quarterback, and I think understandably so. But the more I've been thinking about it, Mitch, the more I'm actually going in the other direction. And I, I like the 49ers. I'll take the point or the point and a half, whatever you want to give me. But it seems to me like over the years when there's a matchup between a really good quarterback versus a team that's clearly better up front on both sides of the ball, it just seems like the team that's clearly better up front on both sides of the ball ends up winning, ends up playing better. I think you can go maybe all the way back to when the Seahawks beat the Broncos, Russell Wilson's second year, and, and Peyton Manning and set all those records that year. I'm going with the O-line, D-line. I'm going with the Niners. <laughs> are you going to change between now and the Super Bowl, Ross? And are you going to alert us, all of our listeners that are waiting to hear what you think? You're not going to change and not alert us, are you, again? <laughs> no, I'm going Niners. I'm, I, 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 that's my story. I'm sticking with it. I'm going Niners. It's funny. I don't know what changed my mind, uh, but because I was on the sideline for the Niners-Packers game, so you'd think that that would have been enough for me to be convinced. But uh, I, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going with the O-line, D-line. I got I to gotta stick with my roots as a former offensive lineman, Mitch. Okay. There's a lot of people out there, and it sounds like you're not one of them because you like 38-35 regardless, regardless of who wins. A lot of people out there that are wondering if the moment will be too big for Garoppolo. You obviously think the answer to that is no, right? That's correct. I, I think people are forgetting you know, how well he played in a lot of big moments down the stretch for that team. I mean, they don't, I don't know if they're in the Super Bowl, probably not, if they don't beat the Saints in that 48-46 game in the Superdome. That's about as tough of an environment as you're going to get. You know, those third and 16s in overtime against the L.A. Rams made a bunch of plays against the Seahawks in Week 17. Yeah. You know, he's – He's proven himself, and the fact that he hasn't had to do a whole lot the, the, the two playoff games doesn't, in my mind, negate the fact that he's proven himself. You know, Ross, I'm having a hard time not rooting for Andy Reid in this game, whether I pick him or not. 
been through so much personally and professionally, and also, obviously, we're up here in the Northwest, so it's easy to root against the 49ers. Uh, Andy Reid, talk to me about Andy Reid, what you know about him, what you love about him. Well, so I'm rooting for him, too. Uh, I really am. Now, I know a lot of people on the Niners, so I'll be happy for them. But I'll tell you a couple things about Andy Reid, right? So, number one, I, you know, I grew up outside of Philadelphia, and people forget there were three or four, maybe even five really lean years yeah. for the Eagles organization before Andy Reid got hired and led that franchise to their greatest run of sustained success ever. And he's also the guy, by the way, that recommended they hire Doug Peterson. So uh, Andy Reid helped the Eagles get a Super Bowl. And the other thing is, just he's an awesome guy, Mitch. I mean, you know, I remember one time I took my father-in-law to Eagles training camp. I was doing a show for the radio, and I introduced my father-in-law to Andy. And my father-in-law is a big Eagles fan, but he was wearing a Penn State hat or whatever. He lives in Bumblefart, middle of Pennsylvania, right? Yep. And Andy Reid meets them. Before practice starts, Andy Reid goes back into the locker room, comes back out with a hat, a shirt, and shorts, hands it to my father-in-law and says, Hey, Dad, I got nothing against Penn State, but if you're going to be here, you might as well wear some <laughs> Eagles stuff. And so, as you might imagine, uh, my father-in-law loves the guy forever now, and so do I. And uh, he's just that type of guy. He always has been. I really, really enjoy him. Um, and I, I, I think people that know what he did in Philadelphia, any guy that's gotten to that many conference championship games and a Super Bowl and hasn't won it, I don't think he needs that validation for the Hall of Fame, but I know a lot of other people that do, so I hope he gets it. Uh, a couple of other things for Ross Tucker. Great NFL voice is with us here on Episode 76. 17-game season, the expansion of the regular season. I understand last week at the Pro Bowl, a lot of the all-star players uh, frowned upon this. Think, uh, think it's just too much. Physically, it's just too much of a toll on their bodies. Do you think we'll ever get the expansion of a season, and do we need an expansion of a season? Yeah, I think it's almost assuredly going to happen. I'd be surprised if it doesn't at this point. It's a lot more money, Mitch. Yeah. A lot more money. And if if you look and see, it hasn't really seemed to hurt the Patriots all that much. I mean, they play 17, 18, 19 games every year. And there's no added injury that we've seen from them or wear and tear from them. I mean, there's 12 playoff teams every year. And you think about how much more money it is. I mean, the reality is, Mitch, if you went in the locker room, and it's actually more than this, but if you went in the locker room and said, hey, guys, you can go home now, or you can play one more week, and it amounts to about another hundred grand for each of you. I mean, they're all going to do it. Now, there might be a couple super-duper rich guys, stars, that don't want to do it, but the rest of the guys are like, Crap, we're here already. We right. already did. I already feel like crap. Let's do it one more week for a hundred grand because right. that's about what it would be per player into the salary cap pool. Right. I saw your Twitter poll uh, last week, Ross, about Eli Manning. Eli Manning's got some great career numbers and great career accomplishments, 
but there's a lot of people like me who just look at him as a very a very good NFL quarterback, maybe not a Hall of Famer. You asked the Twitter poll, overrated, underrated, uh, or neither, and it was 33%, 34%, 33%. That should tell you the story. Where do you fall on your own poll on Eli Manning? Mitch, first of all, I've never seen anything like that, right? right. I mean, if I, said, if I said for a poll, hey, let's try to make this 33% each, it wouldn't work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, people wouldn't be able to make it 33% each if they tried, right. which is absolutely crazy. So what I think is interesting is there was a stretch when people talked about Eli like he was elite, like he was a top five quarterback. And when that was the case, I would submit to you that he was overrated. But the last few years, Mitch, I mean, people have just killed him. I mean, killed him to the point where I now think he's actually underappreciated. You know, to never miss a game is ridiculous. The way he handled things for 16 years in New York City, including getting benched twice, is so impressive to me. And you know what? He hasn't been good the last few years. Guess what? Their whole team stinks, okay? So he hasn't been good. He hasn't been able to elevate the guys around him. But they haven't been able to really help him out all that much either. So what is he? Is he a, is he a Hall of Famer? Is he a first ballot Hall of Famer? Is he a fringe Hall of Famer? What is he, Ross? Well, first of all, I'd be very surprised if he doesn't get in. But what I think is interesting, right, is let's look at each year, right? I mean, let's look at all every year, like this year, right? I'm not putting Eli in ahead of Troy Polamalu or Tony Baselli or Alan Fanica or Richard Seymour. Those guys were elite, elite players. So my point is, Mitch, I think he gets in. But I don't know. I think most years you're going to find five guys that are more deserving. Yeah. Ross, we sit here in Seattle, so I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you for a thought, a final thought or two about the 2019 Seahawks. It was a near miss against the Niners in the last game of the year, which would have given them some home field. There was the near miss against the Packers in the divisional round when the guy dropped the ball and they weren't able to get off the field on third down. You've got the you've got the Jadavion Clowney uh, story here. He wants twenty to twenty five million a year. The Seahawks obviously want him back, but it wasn't a very good defense with him. What, what are your what are you what's your takeaway from the nineteen Seahawks season, Ross? Well, I think that they are not that far away, but I think it's probably time to kind of shift it into overdrive here. You know, I mean, we don't know how much longer Russell Wilson will be able to play at this high of a level. I'd like to think, you know, eight to ten years, right? But you don't know that, especially since so much of his game is his mobility, um, you know I love him, Mitch. I say it on Twitter, at Ross Tucker NFL. I say it on all my podcasts. There's no quarterback I'd rather have. Next five, ten years, forget Mahomes, forget Lamar Jackson. For me, it would be Russell Wilson. But they have to recognize that, that I think they need to be more aggressive. I thought the Clowney trade was fantastic. If necessary, 
I would franchise tag him. Can't do it. You're not allowed to franchise him because that was part of the agreement when they traded for him for him to sign the tender. They agreed that they wouldn't oh, franchise him. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. I forgot about that. Forgot yep. about that. Yep. Uh, that, by the way, was a fantastic trade. Um, I, I, I would try to bring him back, but if somebody blows you out of the water, I wouldn't do it. Uh, too many injury issues, and I think that his – He's consistently inconsistent, if that makes sense. And I'd be a little bit concerned if he got crazy guaranteed money and was getting that kind of money. So I'd make him a nice offer, but I don't think, you know, I'd almost rather pay Matthew Judon from the Ravens or someone like that if I'm going to give those type of dollars. Okay. So 38-35 San Francisco, is that the final answer? Yes, that is my final answer. <laughs> Ross Tucker, you can follow him on all of his podcasts and on Twitter, and uh, he's a terrific voice of the National Football League and a former offensive lineman and an Ivy Leaguer to boot. Thanks, Ross. Great to visit with you. Uh, a belated Happy New Year to you. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Thanks. Likewise, Mitch, and uh, keep up the great work with this podcast, man. I appreciate you having me. Unfiltered. All right, the final segment of episode 76, Heavy Hearted. It is. This is always my favorite segment. We just kind of laugh and talk about stupid crap. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's been tough today. It's been a, just a weird, tough day. Especially you and I, we have, we're in gyms watching basketball, so you're constantly reminded about it, you know? To hear he was traveling to a 13U yeah. basketball right. game. Right. I mean, that's your life, you know? Yeah. And, and there I am sitting and everybody else in that gym sitting in a 14U basketball game. Yep. Uh, just really, really horrible. I hope that episode 76 and some of the interviews and some of the stories, I, I figured that maybe my father putting my brother in the game with a plaster cast up to his knee and a, and a walking thing underneath it, putting him into a basketball game and the officials letting him do it and playing the second half. I thought maybe that would make people chuckle. It was a simpler time back then, I guess. <laughs> I mean, yeah, come on in, kid. When you said cast, my, my first thought was he had like on his arm. No. I was like, who would put a kid in with a plaster cast on his leg? Up to his knee. God. Up to his knee. I thought he could play with one hand. Just he could below the knee <laughs> and that little rubber thing on the bottom and the heel to allow him to walk so he didn't have to be on crutches. But it was that white, hard, oh, yeah. with people signing. Were you ever jealous he didn't have one because everyone got all the attention? I had, I had one. Oh, yeah. I never had a cast. Oh, I, I busted my wrist in my first year college. Yeah. Well, yeah, but when you're a kid, it's more fun. Oh, no, people... no. I wasn't a kid. That was the worst thing. Yeah. It was my right arm. Uh, I don't even talk. I don't. I don't even want to remember that. But All yes, right. I went. I went home and I was in a, in a in a pickup basketball game and I fell into the wall and I shattered my uh, wrist. And you're I like Griffey. This is my first my first year at Syracuse. I got 15 credits or 16 credits and I go back after Thanksgiving break, December 2nd, December 1st. You know when it was? It was when the Chicago Bears played the Miami Dolphins on Monday Night Football. Oh, that's right. I that think was, we talked about. That was this, the maybe. first. Yeah, I had a cast on. I went back to Syracuse with a cast beyond my elbow. Completely eight weeks, could not write. There were no computers really yeah. at the time. Had to take incompletes for all of my Ugh. classes and take 30 credits the second. It was it was no fun. It was Money no fun. well spent on that tuition. Right? Uh, let's get to a couple of other things before we uh, before we finish episode 76. Have you sorry, have you been following Zion at all? I See, mean, I was gonna do Chiefs. There's a super there's a football game being played. Do you want to give an opinion or you want to wait till 76? I'll do the tail of the tape. Super Bowl tail the tape on 76P on Thursday. Something else for me to have to follow along with? I mean, it's yeah. like I have to do work around here, for God's sakes. 
Go ahead. Do, do your Super Bowl stuff. I, I don't. Oh, you're done. Do you want to you wanna make a pick? Because I've gone back and forth. I, when, it, when the game was first established, it was going to be the 49ers and the Chiefs. I immediately thought, you know, the 49ers are just yep. much more well-rounded than the Chiefs. they got a great defense, got a good offense. They just seem to have a lot more going for me, for them. But the more I started to think about it last week, the more Patrick Mahomes kept on jumping into my mind and, and Jimmy Garoppolo was jumping in my mind. And I was saying to myself, am I really, if I make a small wager on this, if I pick it on the small. podcast, am I really going to take the team with the inferior quarterback? How often really does the team with the inferior quarterback beat the team with the, the with the outstanding MVP quality quarterback. Uh, okay, so if one is 12th, the 12th best, and the other's the, the 18th best, I get that. But how often does one of the great young quarterback stars go to the Super Bowl and face a team that has a guy who's questionable under pressure? I mean, Grapple is okay. Yeah, he's got him this far. How often does the great quarterback lose? Does he lose very often? No, he sure doesn't. I don't think he does. I don't know. Maybe you're going to tell me he does. Doesn't feel like it. I mean, didn't Jim Plunkett beat really, Weisman? Do- <laughs> Jim Plunkett, I had to get his name on the episode. <laughs> Stop bagging on Jim Plunkett. He's your Heisman Trophy winner in 1970. That's it. Yes, he was. So I think at the end of the day, when it's time to put a few pesos on this game, I'm going to go with the quarterback. Even though my sensibilities tell me that the 49ers defensively are so much better than the Chiefs are defensively. But I, I'm kind of rooting for the Chiefs, A. I'm rooting for Andy Reid, B. Yeah, I am too. I don't like the 49ers, C. <laughs> and Patrick Mahomes plays on the Chiefs. So I think ultimately I'm going to go ahead and put a couple of dollars on the Chiefs. I thought you were going to say the Niners after all that. <laughs> the Niners are clearly the better team. All right, Zion Mania is happening. Have are you, you going to make a pick? Uh, uh, I, I'm kind of with you. When it first came out, I'm like, of course the Niners are going to win this, right? I mean, they're just the better team. That defense, Richard Sherr, you know. But now I think that – do you think it's going to be a good game? I, yeah, I do. I, I feel like an epic, don't, epic Don't game. think that way because I thought that way for the National Championship oh, in college yeah. football. And boy, you're let down. Just assume it's going to be a stinker and then – Keep the bar down here. I think the Chiefs Keep won a close it. one. They're going to win a close one. All right. like Mahomes high score, will be magic. High scoring, close one, and Mahomes is like the MVP, that type of thing. Yep. All right. Go, That's ahead. What I Go ahead with your Zion. Well, it's Zion Mania. Have you been yeah. fi- I, I've been watching. I woke up, I think, Saturday morning. And- I don't know that I paid attention. I know he played on Sunday, the day that we're recording this. I don't know about that game, but I saw the first two games, a lot of the first two games, and I saw my mo- my, my favorite Zion clip was the block. Oh, I, I woke up Saturday morning. I'm like, I got to – Zion block. Well, I had, so then I watched it. I'm like – that looks like him at Duke. I'm like, does he look overweight? Yes. Not, not on that play he didn't, did he? Well, he got up in the air. He does, I'll tell you what he looks to me. I watched him a lot at Duke because I'm a college basketball knucklehead. I watch too much college basketball. He does look over, overweight. Let's not call him overweight. He yeah. looks heavier, heavier now yeah. than he did then. I don't think there's any question to me. I would be stunned if somebody said on a scale he's either the same or lighter than he was at Duke. I, don't, I wouldn't buy that. Okay. I'd say check the scale. And the other thing is, in the games that I've watched him play, and I'm not going to attribute this to weight entirely. It could be the knee or whatever it is that is problem. He doesn't look as sudden and as quick first step as he did at Duke. Now, having said all that, he was spectacular in the games. I mean, he's making threes out the kazoo. He's hitting just about every one of his shots. He's bringing his team back. He's making the great circus block. I'm not here saying that he hasn't been any good. I mean, I... I'll leave that for other people. I think he's been exceptionally 
exceptionally good considering it's his first NBA experience yeah. and it's after an injury. But I will say that I do think he's heavier. I don't think he's as quick. And I don't think he's as sudden as he was at Duke. Maybe all that will come back. And that's I'm wondering. My, that's my, my feeling. But I was wondering, because I kind of felt the same way. His, he didn't look as quick. But I'm wondering if it's not only the weight, but maybe a little. I mean, he's tentative because he is coming off Could an injury. Be. Could be. And it's his first experience in the NBA. He's playing with the greatest in the world now for the first time, coming off of an injury in midstream. Maybe all that. Again, I don't want to attribute everything that I'm saying to weight. I just don't think. He, he he more plotting. He looked more plotting yeah. in the highlights that I saw and in the games that I saw. A little I, more plotting. I've been watching more NBA because of him, and so I, I haven't. I had not seen Mark Jackson in a long time. Speaking of guys that have put on a couple pounds, you're talking about the the, the announcer. Yes, well, well the former Nick and Clipper, St. John star. He yeah. was a beast. Chris Mullen and Walter Berry and Mark Jackson. Sort of caught me off guard when I was like, that's Mark. Are you sure that's not Keith Jackson? By the way, uh, I'll give you, just to finish up the Zion Williamson chatter, you know what plus minus is? Do you know that stat? Mm, I don't think so. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. With Piper's team, okay. when she's in the game, they're like a plus 52. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, I totally get it now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. When he was in the first two games, when he's in the game, the New Orleans Pelicans outscored their opponents in his minutes on the floor, just those minutes, by 19. Wow, that's impressive. And they lost both games. So think about that. Yeah. This is the first two games. So they lost both games, and yet they outscored their opponents by 19 when he was on the floor. So if yeah. you, there's no questioning his effectiveness, at least in the first first two ball games. I left your house that, that day we, after we recorded, and we were laughing at him. He's got yeah. zero points. I get home. I reco- yeah, he went on he went like on six tear. threes in a row or something. I'm that's, like, holy lord. Right. Can we talk a little bit about Coco Golf, or am I not allowed to talk tennis on Mitch Unfiltered? No, I think you can because I have a quick tennis note as well, so. You do. Who would have thought? Yeah, it's just kind of a weird moment that happened that I thought was sweet. So go ahead, Coco Goff. We've talked about it before, though. You you love this one. Year, I just think the world of this young <laughs> yeah. lady. I, I keep calling her a young lady. She's not even a young lady. She's a girl. Is 15 a young lady? Yeah, would you no, call 15 a young lady? Maybe a young lady. Does, everybody, a, know, does everybody know who Coco Goff is? Go ahead. I'm not sure. 15-year-old American tennis sensation at a Delray Beach, Florida. Oh, there it is. Now I know why you love her. <laughs> no, it's more than that. Have you watched her on the court after these after these incredible wins over Serena Williams, uh, not Serena, Venus Williams, and she got to the final, I think she got to the Sweet 16 of the Australian, then she lost. Have you seen these interviews? She's 15, and I guess maybe because I'm now the father of a 17 and 14, yeah. that it just resonates watching her. She's like a She's like a 30 it's it's un, she's funny she's engaging she's smart she's modest I just want to take a selfie with Rod Laver everything I got to put her, I got to put Rod Laver on my Instagram I mean she's a kid it, it, everything about, and I, and I, what I what I tweeted out was as much as I watch her I, I enjoy watching her play tennis I'm totally YouTubing the the press conference after each of oh, her matches yeah. and the and the and the on court when the lady comes out and talk oh my god she is just the most refreshing uh, whatever they did whatever those parents did send me some please <laughs> yeah she is such a great kid at least comes across as the greatest kid anyway and she had a, she was involved in a sweet moment on the court with another tennis player too right yes after she had lost to her at the U.S. Open I, I the name is a little bit Naomi. Uh, yeah, I think it was Naomi something. Yeah. yeah, she beat her at the Australian Open. Oh, okay. She avenged the loss. Oh, nice. Yeah, and 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 Naomi was the defending Australian Open champion. Oh, wow. And she beat her, 
and she was just great. She said, I can't even believe this. This is my life. What's my life? And they asked her, can you drive? No, not yet. But when I get my, all I wanted to do is go to Chick-fil-A without my parents. That's That's what she said. I want to go to (laughs) Chick-fil-A. Without my parents. Anyway, Coco Golf. There you go. All right, Rafael Nadal. I'm not too familiar with him or tennis, but he hit a ball. You know, those guys hit it, what, 120 miles? <laughs> yeah. And it hit the ball girl right it in the happened. head. It happens. It happens. Yeah. yeah. And he drops his rat. He runs over to her right in the middle of the match. He's a sweet guy. Is sweet he? fella. He looked like it. Oh, I yeah. Mean, yeah. Puts his arm around her. I mean, yeah. she's clearly a tennis fan and knows who he is, so she's probably loving it, you know. Yeah. But he gave her a little kiss on the she's cheek. Great. And are you he's okay? Great. He's great. Okay, good. He's great. He's really likable in so many ways. One of the greatest of all time. You know, he and Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic are the three, right? But between him and Federer, there's not a... You, you, you go back and forth which one you think is the nicer guy. There's no edge to either one oh, of those gotcha. guys. Okay. And maybe that's not so good. Maybe you'd like to have a guy that's a little fiery, a little McEnroe, a <laughs> little something, Elena yeah. Stasi or something. Yeah. These two guys are the sweetest guys of all time. Oh, well, They're that's, just super sweet. That's great. Too sweet. Yeah, I love it. Djokovic, not so much. But, I mean, he's okay. But, but Federer, Nadal, all-time winners, Sweet, sweet guys. Yeah, it showed. Sweet fellas. Yeah. I got Antonio Brown. You want Antonio Brown? I have it too. Go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, you get mad at me for bringing it up all the time. Well, I wouldn't bring it up, but... (laughs) This story's never going to die. He'll be 48 years old. Did I not see a video of Antonio Brown leaving jail, and when he was leaving jail in a crazy suit... Trying to get away from the media, he ran to get away from the media. Like full oh, speed, like full sprint, speed, yeah. Only to find out that he went the wrong way and he had to turn around and come back. <laughs> and I like the paparazzi. Did I see that? Yeah, you was saw that it. Saturday, was that real or Saturday Night Live? You can't make that stuff up. I know. And the paparazzi I mean, it, it, goes, it, he has to come back. They knew it. Right. He, and he comes back. You see him like moping back. <laughs> yeah, He's yeah. got to go. He's running, but to get. If Saturday Night Live's. Writers sat down and said, we need something preposterous, something funny about Antonio Brown. And one of the writers in the back of the room said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have him leaving jail and we're going to have him run away from reporters only to find out he took the wrong route. He's got to turn around. Lauren Michaels would be like, oh, come on. That's the most, that's too outlandish. That that, that that would never happen. Come on, let's get something at least a little closer (laughs) here. It happened. So he funny. ran the wrong way, then had to turn around and come back. He still looked pretty quick, though, too, by the way, if the Seahawks are listening. Right, Seahawks. Yeah, that's right. That suit he had on, I think he had like a track suit under it. I don't know what was going it. on. I don't know. <laughs> but again, we're laughing at him, but we talked about maybe he needs some help, you know. He does. So, you know. But I'm only laughing at the whole yeah. trying to escape media and then realizing, wait a second, I got to go back. Or I forgot my wallet or something. I got to go back. There's something that sort of sums up how his year has gone. That's his year, right? Just going the wrong way. Going Just kind of sums way. it up. All right. Have you heard of uh, David DeLooper? No, you haven't. Yes, David- I have. Oh, you saw the story? I know David DeLooper. Oh, do you? De- cousin David. I-, I don't know anything about that. I just- cousin, he's my cousin. Cousin David that went to all the arenas? Yeah. Yeah, he's my third cousin. Is that right? No. <laughs> God, you had me. You had me. That would have been so funny. Cousin he went to David. all the arenas, and I dislike him intensely. Really? I don't like him. Wait. I don't, don't like it. You don't. You don't like. I don't that's know. That's a cool story. Yeah. Okay. He went to every thirty. He went to all thirty NBA arenas. In his 30 goal days. in thirty days. In thirty days, and his goal was to get on the big screen every time. I mean, I don't think it's the. Uh, as soon it's as interesting it, though. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. I don't want to get on David DeLooper. I'll just say that the guys that want to get on the big screen and, you know, dress in outlandish costumes so that they can get on the big screen. Yeah. Thank you for not calling it a jumbotron, by the way. Like everybody calls it. it. Everyone just says j- Jumbotron. Is it not a Jumbotron? Did I say Jumbotron? What did I <laughs> you say? You didn't. You said big I call- screen, I think. Okay. 
It I is hear a- Jumbotron. Okay, they, Sony quit making those in 2001. Can we stop calling it Jumbotron, no, please? No, they're not Jumbotron. No, they're all LED. And they're, okay. uh, it's one of my Do you want me to get them on? David DeLooper? Yeah. Yeah, I think you should. I have a lot I of questions Willie for him. I did Willie T. Ribs for you. Okay, well. You get one a year. <laughs> well, I'm glad I don't have to work. That's that's the good news. I don't have to put any work into the show. I don't show. know. Do you want a guy who, he really seems starving and thirsty for attention. Well, clearly, he's putting on 30 different costumes to get on a big screen. Right. I mean, he literally had 30 then, different costumes. Do we then ask him if he wants to be? No. Come on. Well, we can do better than that. Does he have a job? Does it hard getting tickets? I have so many questions. Why does he want to do this? Did he? What was going to happen if he got to 29 and couldn't get 30? Was he going to do it again? I just don't want to feed into the attention. Well, I think it's too late. He was trending on Twitter. I, mean, I think he's gotten plenty of it. He was on 30 goddamn screens. Da- da- Dallas Keuchel, you know, Dallas Keuchel, the old Houston Astros pitcher, apologized, is one of the first Houston Astros to apologize for the whole sign-stealing incident. He was a pitcher for the Oh, Astros. he apologized. Kind of, sort of. Okay. Didn't like it. I'm out. I'm out on the apology. That's why I bring it up. He kind of said it. I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing here. I'm sorry it happened, but we have to move on. It wasn't like we did it every game. Sometimes pitchers were just better than our hitters even when we did it. The apology, it was nice to finally hear an Astro player go, wait, he's not on the Astros anymore, but an Astros, a former Astros player kind of go on the record to apologize. Like, it was on SportsCenter, and the SportsCenter host said, when we come back, Astros player apologizes. Right, you're like, oh, and wow. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, good, all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay through the break to watch this. And then the apology kind of kind of didn't ring with me. It was just kind of a – it was too ho-hum. It was too, hey, matter of fact, we're going to move on now. I'm apologizing for any role that I may have had. But, hey, we got to move on. Life goes on now. It's like, I, I, no, whoa, no, whoa, no. Whoa. I'm, not ready, for, I'm re- not ready for life to move on yeah, yet. Yeah, right. I need a little bit more. So, so I don't know how to feel because he did in front of cameras – he was willing to apologize, unlike most Astros players. We haven't heard from anybody. No. But then I didn't love his apology, so I don't know exactly how to feel. Anyway. And, and then to say, well, there were plenty of times when our hitters were just better. Like, that part, too, is kind of like, are you apologizing or not? Like, I don't know. Yeah, it does feel kind of weird. What the, is there anything new with that? I mean, I saw that uh, Altuve's agent came out and said there's a, absolutely never was a buzzer. Buzzer. Can you imagine if there were a buzzer? Come on. be the greatest thing ever. Yeah, it would be the greatest thing ever. Oh, if, if somebody was actually manufacturing little buzzers in their garage Jeez. for these guys, it's like the movie Casino. All right, Sabrina Lanescu. Yes, the Oregon, uh, the Oregon basketball player. Best yes. basketball player in the world. Best female basketball player in the world, right? She just broke the all-time yeah, steals record for the Pac-10, Pac-12. For men and women combined, whose record did she break? It was a man. Which Pac-10 college basketball player had the all-time steals record until she came along and broke it you can do it you can do this oregon state oh see i was gonna go matisse theibel because i think matisse theibel broke gary payton's record didn't uh, well, he? they were saying gary payton has the all-time so matisse theibel didn't break matisse theibel might have had most for a season but i think this is like career mm. now maybe they were wrong I, mm. I saw gary payton okay anyway good for her for breaking the all-time the glove. record yep. yeah she's very very good in fact i'm not a big Big fan of women's college basketball. I don't tend to watch it, but if Oregon's on, I'll actually stop and watch a little bit to see her play. That's Didn't how they beat the national team? I think they did this past summer. I, I think the Oregon team beat the Olympic team. Eli Manning, 
Hall of Famer, not Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah. We got to discuss that. I, I think he's a Hall of Famer. I, I'm not as tough on him as everyone else is. I think this is a great sports radio, if you want to call it a sports radio, sports podcast. Yeah. Sports debate. This is over a beer, especially in New York, if you're a fan of the Giants. This is an all-time debate. People have already heard the interview that I did with Ross Tucker. Ross Tucker sent out a Twitter poll. You probably will hear this when you listen back to the episode. The Twitter poll was, is he overrated, Eli Manning, underrated, or neither? Okay. What do you think the results, like 10,000 people, okay. 10,000 NFL fans, overrated, underrated, or neither? What do you think the, uh, the, the breakdown yeah. was? Uh, 60% said overrated. Yeah. And then I think the last 40% was probably split 2020. Okay. This is the reason why it's a great sports radio, sports podcast, sports debate. Yeah. 33%. <laughs> 33%, 34%. Wow, is that right? You, yeah. There's, I mean, if, if that doesn't tell the story. Yeah. And for my money, and I, and I, I remember when I went on 70, what was it, 75P, our last episode on Thursday, Jason Lockenfora was on for the patrons. Patrons probably heard this. And he said, and he asked me some great questions because I don't, let me see. How do I put this? I, I like Eli Manning personally. I like him a lot more than I liked Peyton. There was something about Peyton. I, I didn't dislike Peyton, uh-huh. but just personal, personally, which one would I like to hang out with? Yeah. Something about Eli was more modest. A little more I, humble? A, a little more humble. Okay. than, And maybe he had reasons to be more humble because well, Peyton was better. I mean, Peyton's maybe, like one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. He so, is. But yeah. For whatever reason, I, I found Eli to always be a little bit more normal and a more, more grounded than his older brother. So I don't mind him. But I never really, like Jason Lockenfor asked the perfect question. Did you ever th- look at Eli in his prime? Remember what he said? Yeah. And think he was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. There was never a time. Now, maybe it's because he played in an era with a lot of great quarterbacks. Sure. Maybe, that, maybe that's the reason. So Tom Brady was always but, sitting there. I, I mean, I, there was never a year during Eli Manning's prime that if, you, if we did this podcast and you said to me, rank the best five quarterbacks in the NFL, he would have never been in the best five. Oh, that's interesting. Never, ever. So how does a guy go to the Hall of Fame who was never one of the best five or six quarterbacks in any year in his prime? Well, that's one side of it. But the other side of it is you look at his career stats. His career stats are off the charts. Maybe it's because he played a long time. He's like seventh in yardage, like sixth in touchdown passes. I mean, he has he has nothing but Hall of Fame stats, and he's got two championship rings. That's big. And he played in New York. So which one do you – that's why it's such a great debate. Do you go with – well, he was never one of the best five or six in his his generation ever, but he has – all these yards and all these touchdowns and these rings. So which way do we go on this? Yeah, I mean, I think Jason... I don't know which way to go. Jason, I think I, I'm, I sort of fall with him. He's like, I, if he gets in, great. I'm not... You know, he doesn't feel passionate about it either way, Jason. That's kind of how I am. Yeah. I think he I'm should be in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I'm not going to scream and protest if yeah. he gets in or yeah. doesn't get in either yeah. way. All right. Uh, one more. You get one more. Pick your best one. <laughs> I saw that Mitch Hanniger's not going to make the starting day lineup because of an injury for oh, the yeah, Mariners. Oh, yeah, that's old news. Pick another one. That's old news. That's that's a week old. Well, he got hurt a week ago. But yeah. can I? I mean, are we going to start doing <laughs> Mariners stuff already? Like, is it too early to talk Mariners? Yeah, way too early. It'll be too early to talk Mariners halfway through the season. <laughs> I mean, I was like, is, is this what we can? Is this what we can look look forward to? I've got my athlete of the week. Unless you uh, no, go ahead. Something else. Nope. Finish with my athlete of the week. Um, well, it comes down to two two videos. You saw the two videos that I'm going to refer to. I think. Go on. 
One video is a little baby boy in a diaper. Can't be more oh. than... Yeah. How, how, how old would you say he is? He's is he two? two? Yeah, he's still in he's diapers. He's not three. I don't think he's three, yeah. And he's standing in front of a TV playing the Rocky workout montage. He's and, got it down. And he is mimicking yeah. Rocky Balboa from the sit-ups to the weight ball, the medicine ball, to the <laughs> This kid is two years old in a diaper. And That's I awesome. even said to my own two boys, I said, guys, I got bad news for you. You guys are my favorite two boys, my favorite two baby boys in my lifetime. You're now two and three, and I don't know which one of you is two and which one is three. <laughs> like, what? I said, I found one that I like better than you guys. I'm sorry. Yeah. And like, what? I said, and I showed it to them. And they were just pumping, they were pumping their fists. Yeah, yeah. They probably agree. <laughs> no, they didn't agree. <laughs> so I've got, I've got the baby boy mimicking Rocky. And then there was this other one that people were like, no. When I, when I suggested that that would be the, the athlete of the week for episode 76... Some people said, no, this one's got to be better. And it was a little boy, probably five, hitting a baseball off a tee. Yeah. And the, and the, and the, the dog running after it and him running to first base and then back home and sliding, <laughs> sliding. In before <laughs> sliding in in his jeans halfway down with his butt out. So and, great. And the dog coming back. He's trying to beat the dog back to the – that was pretty great too. He would have been a great kid of like the 80s or 70s because that's kind of how we had to play. You know, yeah. just go out there with your dog and a ball, no screens or nothing. He was loving it, that kid. He put – did you think the dog was going to take one in the face though when you first watched it? Because that's what I thought. No. The dog is like right in front of the teeth. That's so because excited. you had just watched the – Rafael Nadal it yeah, was in your head right. I'm a little shell shocked <laughs> well those are both great both great choices you want to be the one somebody's got to be you want co-athletes of the week the little two little boys yeah let's I mean what are we going to snub a two-year-old I mean look at him <laughs> no we're not snubbing the two-year-old <laughs> you like that we might be snubbing the five-year-old we ain't snubbing the two-year-old I, I love Rocky the five Balboa. love the five-year-old just playing out there by himself I thought that was great I, I think I would be willing to snub the two-year-old if it weren't for the last moment of the video which is when Rocky Balboa gets down and starts doing one-handed push-ups, yeah. this two-year-old in a diaper tries to get down, and he puts his right arm out behind him and tries to do a one. Come it's adorable. On. I know. It's adorable. It's the greatest. If it, unless it's fake, it's the greatest baby video maybe of all time. It's great. Yeah. I think we should co. Okay. I mean, they're both great. Okay. Right? And we name the, and we name the, the episode after Kobe? How can episode we not? Mamba? Yeah, how can we not? Yeah. Uh, just a hard, hard weekend. It's tough, and more details are going to come out about the other passengers. I'm scared for that, and yeah, it's tough. There's nothing good that comes out of these types of things. If you said to me, Mitch, you have to come up with something that's good that comes out of these things, every now and again, we need reminders, don't we? Yep. What, what, what do we need? What, what am I going to say? You're going to say, just remember it could end at any time, and don't take anyone in your life for granted. Don't take your life for granted. You never know. When Kobe Bryant woke up in the morning, that never once crossed his mind. He used to take a helicopter to games because he lived out. He, li- he takes a helicopter all, all the time. Right. Yeah. So it probably never crossed never his mind. And he's got his daughter next to him. I mean, how could anything ever go wrong with my I beautiful th- 13-year-old next I to me? I was thinking when I heard the, the news, and I told you I was at, at, at uh, Renton High School at a basketball game. I was thinking earlier that morning I had dropped off my wife and my oldest son to go down to California to visit a school. I dropped him off at the at SeaTech Airport. You know, and I said goodbye. Yep. And then I hear this news and I'm like, oh God. Yep. God, God forbid. I mean, I, I should have, you know, just hug the people you're just don't take anything for granted. And remember, it's the it's the comment, it's the little saying that my dad always said, and I know that he stole it from somebody else, but I have tweeted it a million times. 
just remember one thing, that if we all sat in a big circle, all of us, and we threw our troubles into the middle, you'd race to get your own troubles back. Yeah. Kobe Bryant was on top of the world. That's right. He had a great family. What, four kids? Yep. Uh, just all the money anyone could ever grab want. Your lo- grab your loved one. Don't sweat the small stuff. Stop sweating. Like, I'm telling myself this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be some sort of a... No, you're right, though. You're don't, right. don't sweat the small stuff. Be forgiving and grab the ones closest to you and give them a hug because you just don't know. When you're irritated about something small, just remember you could be Vanessa Bryant today. That's someday for her, right? That's someday. Some week, some month, right. some year. Some life. Yeah. Yeah. Terrible, terrible. All right, episode Kobe. Episode, episode Kobe Bryant, the Mamba. Episode Kobe Bryant is a